Hello and welcome to the post Thanksgiving, if you're in the US, day episode of the TetraCast. I'm your host, Brian Vitelli, and with me today, I've got Josh Torres. Hi. Hello. Adam Vitelli. Hey, guys. James Galizio. Hey. And non American George Foster. Hello, everyone. George, how was your uh, regular Thursday? Boring. But it was nice to see all like the turkey pictures on Twitter. And uh, Brian, you seem to have a somewhat disappointing Thanksgiving dinner that you complained about. Uh, I was being a little bit cheeky, but uh, I ordered dinner for myself, and it was it was average. It was fine. You know, obviously the the ideal is to go visit family, and either cook yourself or treat yourself to like a fancy dinner. But I I just got some like a prepackaged uh, like a restaurant Buca de Beppo actually, if you must know. Uh, had like little Thanksgiving um, meals that you could order, and it was fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. So, uh, but I'm not a fan of turkey. Like I think I've I'm I've had turkey from pretty much every Thanksgiving I've ever been in, just out of like respect for something. I don't know. Respect. Because <laughs> you, know, you don't you don't ever eat it, or very rarely eat it any other time of the year. So why not? But I've I only think, ever had like turkey when I visit someone else or like a for a fr- like a friend's Thanksgiving or something. Like my family themselves never make turkey themselves. It's either like ham or this year was weird because like we had just had like a bunch of sushi. Like it just it was boxes of sushi, like overwhelming. Uh, see that sounds preferable. I, I think next year, like I will I will just like if I'm not visiting anywhere, I don't know. I would just like order like a big ass pizza just because I would enjoy that more than turkey, which I just don't like. Like I'm finally like putting my foot down and just being like, you know what? I really just don't like turkey. I don't need to like <laughs> suffer through it every year out of tradition. Out of respect. Yeah. And to be clear, like, like, like the, the, the sushi was like for like a large field about it. It was like, I just uh, visited my like, dad and my dad. Mom. That was it. It wasn't like a large gathering or anything. You'll have to. Oh, it's weird, yeah, it's weird that you have to say that now, though, isn't it? Like, I almost forgot the state of the world. I was like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's the responsible thing to do. You know. Agreed. And I, I had to like convince my mom like not to fly here because you know the obviously uh, where I live, California, where uh, we've entered lockdown again for like a month, and just she's from Seattle. It just wouldn't be like you know a great idea, even though she could she could travel here because she's in the airline business still, but like not like commercial airlines. It's more like privatized, like uh, transporting military personnel. So it's more um, formalized, more screenings and whatnot. So she's been doing fine. She uh, she took a, a COVID test like a week or so ago, and she tested negative. And I was like, "That's great. That's awesome. I'm really happy for you. Don't like just because you tested negative doesn't mean you should go out and go see yeah, us." You know? yeah. Does she still have to like? I mean, go through airports? Yeah, she still has to. She also has to fly for a job, but it's not a commercial. It's not like commercial, like a lot of like passengers like they actually practice like social distancing on those like seating arrangements and whatnot so she's yeah, in it, good hands so when i'm traveling home for the holidays later this year which again will be a small gathering which is like basically my, me and my parents and my brothers um like i don't i wouldn't want to go through an airport so i'm just driving but i drive anyway so it's not really i'm not like changing my habits there mm-hmm. so george how was a week two are we on week two of PlayStation 5. Week 2 already? Wow. Uh, well, week 3 for the rest of us. You will forever be a week behind. <laughs> the rose-colored glasses have kind of fallen off now, and it's just like a regular 
regular thing now, which isn't it's, it's, which is bad, but it's just like I no longer get up and press the PlayStation button. And go wow! <laughs> <laughs> I sit in my chair like it's normal. It's, um, all, it's already I, just become like commonplace. Like oh yeah, that's the PlayStation Five. I've always owned that. Well, I was thinking earlier. I was like, there still hasn't been that moment that's made me go like, this is next gen. This is this is like I needed to buy this. There was no way this could have been done on older consoles like demon souls is really impressive and looks amazing and the low times in general are really cool but like only in demon souls would i go yeah this is proper next gen because not well, only is that also, the only yeah i think you're about to say what i was going to say like that's the true next gen game of the moment really yeah exactly and even then not to disrespect the work that's been done on it because even as somebody who's not a massive souls fan i can see that it's like a, a really big deal I, I don't know if like remaking it, it's still a remake like no matter how mm-hmm. accomplished of a remake it is it still is it's nothing like brand it's new not, yeah exactly I agree with you which is like even something like Mars Morales which like loads like I was gonna clip my fingers but you can't hear that <laughs> like literally <laughs> loads with second and it's amazing and I have literally just platinumed it uh I wouldn't go that was something I needed to play on PS5 even though it's better on PS5 so I'm, I'm still waiting for that moment. That like that that first game, and I think that'll probably be Ratchet and Clank next year. But has there ever been like a, a either a launch game or something that you bought around launch window or a, a game that was around launch window that's like, wow, this is really the game that like that really justified my purchase of this? Like, just throw out any thing. No, the like, I guess you mean not. Breath of the Wild. Oh yeah, Breath of the Wild. But then but I that actually was that was you also. Yeah, so. funny story. So, like, who cares? Who gives a shit about the Wii U? <laughs> I, mean, like, I don't know anybody so... that owned the Wii U, well, and well, then then and then bought a Switch and said, "Yeah, I'd be happy if I like." Almost everyone I know that owned a Wii U would have been happy if they never bought a Wii U. I, but, the I, Wii, I, but the Wii U version of that game <laughs> is what allowed the uh, all the cool little emulation tricks and updates and tweaking that Breath of the Wild has got. Eventually, I think we'll see those on uh, Yuzu. Is that the Switch one? But obviously, Simu, I hope I got those two names right, was far more along for all that for that scene. But it's one of those things like, yes, the Breath of the Wild is really cool for a launch title on Switch, but at the same time, like, there's still a number of people that went like, oh, okay, I can still play this on the Wii U. There's not like an immediate need to upgrade if I don't really need this. Yeah, that, that, I, I agree with that. Launch, launch windows are probably the worst time to evaluate like a console but it's it's still like an amazing launch for the ps5 uh, i still love the console all the changes it's made like i mentioned before are all fantastic uh i'm running into like a few more issues than i thought i would be though like games kind of crash quite a lot i was, I was gonna bring, I was gonna bring that there. up like how how are you three since adam and i don't have one yet um, dealing with coil wine or freezes or PlayStation 4 versions when you meant to download a PlayStation 5 version, any of those things? Um, so I haven't really had coil wine. Like, one thing that I've had is it gets really loud when it's reading from a disc, which happens like every yeah. hour or so. Yeah, I've had that. But um, for the most part, it's been fine. Uh, I did have some issues like transferring my stuff over from PS4 and it was kind of unstable, but I think. One of the main issues the PS5 is having a stability right now is if you try to install multiple things at once, it can be a bit of a problem. Because what I found out was I was having the issues of crashing when transferring stuff like from my PS4 
when I had, like, the Miles Morales disc in the PlayStation 5 installing. Because it says when you do your first setup, if you have a PlayStation disc, put it in here and we'll install it while we're getting everything set up. That did not work for me. It just kept crashing out, like, 5% or maybe even a bit more into the transfer process. And once I ejected the disc, I didn't have any issues. So I do think that there's something kind of funky going on with um, the way that the system handles installs. Because, like like you said, and or alluded to, is that there's been people that have ha had issues trying to get the PS5 versions of games installed. And in some cases, they haven't been able to install the PlayStation 5 version if they've installed the PS4 version. So there definitely seems to be some bugs going on when it comes to like actually installing games right now. I I always get really scared when I uh, insert a disc in that. I was like, oh man, it just feels like no. I think I think that I think a lot of it's just the way the system was built. The the, the one with the disc drive in it. It's like it's clear that like not to say that the disc drive was an afterthought, but it's clearly like you know the, the least priority on that console is just like having <laughs> to be able to read the disc. That's the that's the check the check mark on that on that console. Like uh, as long as I can read a disc, it's fine. It doesn't really matter like if it's you know if it's like smooth. It's just like as long as I can read a disc, it's fine because but, but you, it, yeah, it's, to, it's like the one moving part in there now. Yeah, it's like when you try to like install it, it's just going. It's like, oh my god, are you? Oh man, is something? It is but, like it has. It, it must. I think it must be a software. I don't. I hope it's a software problem because otherwise, it's just kind of an annoying uh, system problem. I guess is that like James well, said. Well, once once it's everything's like, installed from the disc, right? It's fine. Like when I was, it took the longest time to like get say get Kingdom Hearts three on there because once you include the Kingdom Hearts three disc, it has to install from the menu, and then after you get into the game, it has to continue. When you're trying to load up your own save file, like it has to continue like installing the rest of it. So like that even takes like a lengthy time, even with whatever as fast SSD is in it. It's still a pretty lengthy amount of time. Like I had to like maybe wait like twenty five to thirty minutes before I could actually start playing my save my kingdom hearts 3 save just to see how it ran on the ps5 and like and, th and throughout that whole time of like when it was like trying to like get data from the disc into the console it just sounded like a nightmare i'm like well hopefully this is working and not breaking my ps5 speaking of um how it runs on ps5 i actually did try so so i haven't really dived into backwards whoa i can't get that word out <laughs> <Backwards> <laughs> <compatibility>. <laughs> I haven't really tried it that much, but I did try it on Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order because I remember back when I reviewed that, my biggest problem with it is that it just didn't feel like it ran on a PS4 Pro. Like it just, it felt like at every moment it was stuttering and just like wanted to be put out of its misery. Uh, and that's a game I really thought very highly of. Uh, and I tried it on the PS5 just for fun and it fixed the frame rate problems completely. Like it, it's, it runs smooth as anything. Like it's like I can't a whole... wait to finally play Fallen Order next month when it comes out on Game Pass PC. It's such a good game. I, I will rally for that game. And funnily enough, th this is a complete tangent, but since Game of the Year is nearly coming up, that is technically eligible for this year's Game of the Year because it missed out last year's. At the on game TGAs, year. you mean? Yeah. And like no one, no one's mentioning it because I guess they forgot. Because even I forgot. I had no idea that it was like that it missed out but it's such a good game uh so yeah those those you know, late december releases or when did it release uh i think it was late november so like I don't oh know so, why it they're, out. so their cutoff was pretty early but yeah. we saw we saw that happen with with the tgas with um xenoblade to torna 
which you might have argued that that's a DLC and it wouldn't really have gotten anywhere anyway. Uh, but we did also see Smash Ultimate did have a like, crossover period and was like remembered. It was a bigger title. And that's obviously something that this site you know, has to deal with sometimes when we've got those December releases about whether or not we're going to include it. So, Jordan, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off earlier, but like what I don't I, this feels like a weird, like loaded question. I don't mean it this way, but you you had you were bringing up something that you had issues with on the PS5. Was it just the disk drive thing or was it something more? Uh, so it was just specifically with uh, Mars Morales, because I've been I must have put about 15 hours into that game now. Uh, I've just done the platinum and it must have crashed on me uh, like five times. And it's not a massive issue because, like, it it loads so fast that I was just straight back to where I wanted to be anyway. But I I don't know. It kept happening in the same places. So, like, straight after one mission, a cutscene plays and you jump on top of a roof. And then it just it broke there, both on my first playthrough and the second one. Uh, And then it would just sometimes mess up every now and again. Uh, It happened with Devil May Cry 5, which I just got the other day. Like, I I think once there. And again, it, it doesn't matter too much, but it's just... It's the early stages of the PS5. There's always going to be this sort of thing, but I can't help but notice it. Like yeah, both, both consoles a... came in hot. Like you know, you see that the quick resume feature on the Series X and S like, starts to is still kind of wonky, not really universally supported. It's kind of up to the developers right now. That's obviously not the way they didn't want it to work. So mm-hmm. a lot of these like both these consoles came in super hot at a very challenging year on shipping anything. Give us them oh, stability yeah, yeah. updates. It's like yeah, all the like, stability yeah. updates. I think I, de- but, I definitely have taken the PS5 launching now, but having like a few little issues than them launching next year, but being a bit more straightened out. Because personally, like this, this is going to sound sad, but after the year that we've had, I kind of needed like the PS5. I needed next gen to come and be a bit exciting. Ah, uh, that's fair. last second, so I don't mind the few issues. But yeah, I've, I've been playing. Uh, I finished off Mars Morales, like I've said. And finally got into Devil May Cry because I just I couldn't wait for the physical edition anymore. I just really wanted to play it. And now, have it's you played? Uh, yeah, let's, let's just let's just roll into like what we've been playing. So, have you played Devil May Cry before, or is this your first time? Uh, so I previously played Devil May Cry four and loved that. Then I went back to the originals. Really enjoyed one and three. Two was you know everyone knows Devil May Cry two is not great. Uh, all in time for Devil May Cry five to come out, which I adored. That was uh, absolutely fantastic game, and then this is just that, but polished even more. And adding a character is like arguably the most fun to play. Like I've I've gone back to play like the normal campaign without Virgil, and it's just it's so weird because you start when you start as Virgil, he's got all of his basically all of his weapons, and he's got a good amount of abilities already. So he like he can kick ass and get like triple S straight away. Uh, so I've gone back to Nero now, and it's just like oh, this is so slow. I need Virgil back. Nero's a weird one in that game too, because like I feel like Nero is only fun to play after you beat that game once, because after you beat that game once, he expands his arsenal with. Uh, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And like, and the, and the whole gimmick with like you know exchanging the the his arm because his arm gets caught, chopped off at the beginning of that game. Like he has this gimmick where like he's able to cycle like different types of like arms in that game with different abilities, and I don't think it really comes together that well for him personally. Yeah, I, no, I would. I I didn't think it the first time through. I guess because I hadn't really you don't know about the fact that he eventually gets like an expanded arsenal for his arm but mm-hmm. like now i'm playing it i'm like yeah i kind of i kind of could skip that and it's not the same with dante or virgil because they they kind of just play as how they always have done but like to the max uh v's v's interesting because he 
he is incredibly gimmicky, but he's so powerful that those stages just kind of fly by. Like they're not a challenge at all because he can just he gets triple S's like nothing as well. Because yeah, v, v is uh, V is like only annoying to play if it's like at like super tough difficulties because I, I don't think he's all that well balanced for his, his tougher difficulties. But uh, other than that, he's he's pretty fun to play once you get like how to mm. actually uh, yeah. manage his uh, minions. Yeah, I played Devil May Cry 5 last year, and I enjoyed it quite a bit, but um, I also did kind of the same thing that George did, where I played the rest of the series, like, leading up to it. Like, I think the week before DMC 5, I played through the HD collection and then DMC 4 Special Edition, and um, I definitely think that DMC 3 is still my favorite, especially now that the Switch version is out that has all those, like, additions and whatnot. Oh. Like, I, a lot of it comes down to, I'd say, level design. I feel like DMC5 has a problem where, like, most of the levels fall under, like, two different types of aesthetics. Either ruined cityscape or inside the demon tree thing. And it just... Yeah. It plays great. Like, the movesets are fantastic. Like, on a gameplay level, it's really nice. But... There's just something about the aesthetics in the earlier uh, Devil May Cry games, or at least one and three, that just felt a lot better. I don't yeah, know if I'm. Uh, I, I agree with you because DMC five for me is like it only gets really fun. It only got really fun for me, oddly enough, as once you get like most expanded arsenal you need, and then just go straight to Bloody Palace and don't look back after you beat it like once or twice, because like. Uh, a lot of DMC 5's like level design problems seems like a shift like to get away from like the puzzle uh aspects uh, of like prior entries like DMC 3 and DMC 4 like had like you know they, they it wasn't like complex puzzles but there was definitely like some you know environmental stuff to do with like hey get this and put this here and there's some of that in 5 but not of a I big I feel like focus. it was overcompensating for the folks that didn't like some of the puzzles in 4, which the reason why people didn't like them in 4 wasn't because they were puzzles. It was because they were shitty puzzles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> 1 and 3 have puzzles that are perfectly fine. They're actually good. It's yeah. just DMC4, it's just incredibly annoying, like the level design in that game. And like not even just talking about the fact that you play the game twice, essentially, but... Yeah, uh. but, but there's something I like about Four Special Edition, especially because, like, I really liked playing Lady in that game. Like that—that that was my main in that game. One Special Edition came out. Like Virgil was really cool, fun. Trish was pretty cool and fun. But there was something about Lady's move set in Four Special Edition that really jived with me that I really liked. And I kind of wish that they, you know, had more characters in Five to, like, with Five Special Edition, especially only adding Virgil kind of felt. It no, don't get me wrong. Virgil's really fun in five, but kind of taking a step back from it relatively to four special. What four special edition brought? Yeah, I, I, I did think this earlier as well. That I was like, Virgil was you could hack it and technically play as Virgil before, so it doesn't feel like it, it feels like the problems of Devil May Cry Four Special Edition were okay. So here are these new characters, but you're still doing the same game over again. They didn't really learn from that because you are still doing the same game over again, just as Virgil this time. And like, even also, fun, you're still replaying. It really annoys me that um, special edition is only available on 
PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series consoles because I have it on PC. Well, I have the original DMC5 on PC, and I'd love to like play Legendary Dark Knight mode. Or I, I'm guessing like is there is there technically Turbo mode that was also added too? Yeah, I yeah, say, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and I mean, I know there's like mods that basically already added Turbo mode anyway, so it's not like a big deal. But it's just like. It's 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 like the problem that the it's Capcom has this weird problem where like it doesn't want to release like the quote unquote definitive editions of these DMC games to like other plat like DMC definite definitive edition the Ninja Theory one never released on PC and that's you know the best version of that game like I don't even hate that game I just I really didn't like the the base release of DMC because it felt so restrictive like what kind of uh, moves you can do on certain enemies like in the in the base version like if you had like the these angel and devil weapons if you use like an angel weapon on a devil uh enemy that uh you it would just bounce off and it would just restrict you like you can only use these weapons for this enemy while in the definitive edition you can mix and match it up however you you want it it's just that the this angel weapon would do less damage to that but you still be able to do that combo that you're trying to do i was like oh this is actually a really fun way to play this game you know, and yeah, I still need really... to get around to playing it because I, I do hear that um, it does a lot of things really right. And like the level design I've heard is like... It's really good. It's better than DMC5's yeah. level design. Yeah, I, I yeah. feel like, ironically enough, um, if I ended up playing it, I'd probably it would probably be my third favorite DMC game. And this is definitely going to be a hot take, but my... Well, obviously, my favorite DMC game is DMC3, which I don't think is necessarily a hot take, but I actually like DMC1 more than DMC4 or 5. Wow. I can see that. Yeah, DMC1's cool. Yeah. I personally, to to go back to DMC5 and gush, because, like, say, saying, oh, yeah, this bit's kind of, like, I'm meh on the amount of content they've added doesn't really show how I feel about it because I still think that Devil May Cry 5 is one of the best character action games of all time in in my opinion I, I, I really yeah. like it that much but one scene in particular has always stood out to me I don't know why I have no idea why I love the scene but it's the bit where Nero finally like gets his arm back so he's mm-hmm. running up the stairs and he's, he's screaming that he's not going to let uh, Dante and Virgil kill each other and I don't know why but when I watched that the first time I was like this might be my favorite story in the series. Like, I think the characters here are at their best, really. Like, I have always liked Nero as a protagonist. Like, I know people hated him kind of in DMC4 because he was like taken over from Dante, but I really enjoyed the story here. Uh, and I think it's got some really cool bits in it. And also, this, this is like the opposite of a hot take, but the music is Chef's Kiss. It is perfect, especially Virgil's new theme in Special Edition here, Bury the Light. It is like, so so good. Yeah, I I agree with you that it's one of the stronger narratives in the DMC verse because a lot of DMC games don't really have a great story in the first place. I'll be honest. I'm like, uh, like I like DMC 3's plot because it was very straightforward. Of like, go up that tower to go see your brother. Essentially, um, DMC 4's plot sucked. Um, <laughs> Is this a bad time to jump in and just blurt out that the only one I've played is DMC? Like, no, DMC, like, this is the thing. DMC had horrible characters and, like, a pretty nothing story, especially if you were 
connecting it to Devil May Cry, like most well, people. It, probably- it, it wasn't a nothing story. It was, it was like more like an absurd story of like, oh man, that dude just shot a pregnant woman. That's yeah. Fun. It was weird. like, but besides that, I really enjoyed DMC. Like, I, I played like, it you- only because it was on a uh, PS Plus. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It was. yeah I, and I didn't really like have the background to know like. Th- that it was a different developer like i didn't really have the context like, oh, that's an action yeah. that's an action game series I- i've never played it i should try it it's on ps plus so i was a, I was a what, did you, what did you think uh i thought it was really weird that a large segment of that game story is like borrowed wholesale from the futurama what is it the slurm episode with like toxic soda i <laughs> 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 just like okay. okay like that's that's something uh it was one of those games that I, I I wish I had something like really like insightful to say about it, but I kind of like played through it once, I purged it from my brain, and then never thought about it again. Uh, <laughs> I remember and I remember a boss where you fight like a reporter in like a techno room, of some cool sort. Boss. yeah. And I remember thinking like, all right, this is kind of unique. This is this is different. Like that's it was enough that it was enough. It was different enough that I remember it even now, several years later, without any real attachment to the game. So there you go. That's it. That's 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 my one thumbs up for it. See, like, if you... I, I don't know why some people do this. It's an argument we've had before about the importance of canon. Uh, if you can just take DMC as its own thing, especially now that original Devil May Cry has been continued and is, like, successful, and there's a Devil May Cry 5, so don't panic. Like, DMC's kind of cool. Like, I, I would happily see a, a continuation of that. Like, especially now that we know that there's probably going to be more Devil May Cry, like, at some point in the future. Like, yeah, give me more DMC, too be cool i think it's fine but it's more i think there at some level like that part of development the attitude the developers had towards like the original like it's kind of just compiles onto the problem that's like oh there's not the dmc that we know yeah it's just the attitude of like oh uh it's kind of like poo-pooing over like the what it tried to follow up it wasn't trying to replace hopefully but it was just like it it had a lineage definitely, and one of those things that, like, it's like, oh, we don't want to be like that. It yeah. definitely doesn't help that, like, one of the first, like, scenes from that game is just, there's, like, they pull a white hair gag when the whole, when, that always annoyed me, that the discourse that some people were pushing when DMC was first announced was that, oh, people don't like it because of the hair, but, like, even if I hadn't played the Devil May Cry series at that point, like, everyone I saw that was critiquing the game they didn't care that much about the character designs they cared about the gameplay itself it really came across as petty and just like insecure that the thing they latched onto was probably the most benign like shit it just as someone who has no attachment to dante like dante real dante or whatever you call him um like i actually kind of I don't know if I'll say I enjoyed it, but the fact that that game was so like blatantly irreverent, I'm like, you know what? That's bold. Like, I, I, I can't, I can't dislike this. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, like, I, 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 yeah, there's a, there's a path for that game to be like, like have like retain the solid gameplay while while not like blatantly shitting on like the series that it's trying to like derive from. You know, there there's a path for that. It's a, the thing is as well. I wouldn't stay on DMC too long because I, I could just talk about it. Yeah, very yeah. I wasn't expecting uh, RPG Sites podcast where we talk at length about Devil May Cry. I'm yeah, totally okay. I really, with that, I, really, I really like Devil May Cry. <laughs> it's like, it's like if you're if you're so against Devil May Cry, like if you're like, oh, pff, 
we're not like that stupid game. Then like, why give Dante white hair at the end of the game? Why do all these references to it? Why like make him have a devil trigger? If you're gonna not do the game, then don't like half do the game. Like also, I feel like people really kind of just swipe um, swept it under the rug that. I'm not sure if it was, like, a GDC talk or something, but basically there was this, like, one presentation that um, the developers gave at some sort of, like... Uh, like a uh, Capcom? Yeah, where they basically <sighs> likened original Dante to a gay cowboy stereotype, oh, and they yeah. said... I saw that. It's just, like... Really? We... <sighs> It's just—it's a lack of understanding about like why people like those games and the characters. Well, not even just that, but the fact that they're like, just like that's incredibly homophobic. I know it was twenty thirteen, like, and but still, like, geez. I I wasn't aware of that context, and I'm kind of like, Ugh. yeah, there was a, there was a lot of like odd problems about it uh, during development and kind of the there there are some i don't want to call out anyone but but there are definitely some shady actors behind the scenes that the development of that game that's probably well documented elsewhere on the internet interesting videos on it just Mm -hmm. like there are so many hurdles for that game to ever jump over in order to have that like potential sequel but like if they could do it like i say i'd be interested in seeing it not not more so than just playing like a devil may cry 6 but you know, well, the idea. an absolute minimum would have to be a different developer because they're owned by Microsoft now. So, oh yeah, oh that was Ninja Fear, wasn't it? Yep. Oh, well, <laughs> sort of bleeding edge. Let's take away DMC too. Did I say Team Ninja earlier? I meant Ninja Theory. Oops, <laughs> or maybe Wait, I didn't say yeah, it, but yeah, I yeah. thought it. I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah, you didn't say it. <laughs> oh, well, I thought it. Uh, Monolith and Monolith Soft and Team Ninja and Ninja Theory. That happens. <laughs> So, James, I know um, on the PS5 front that you had also finished up Demon Souls. The last time yep. I saw I saw you tweet uh, an unfortunate picture where you were dead at the hands of one of the later bosses with a sliver of health left. So yeah, you- basically, basically. Um, so just for some context, I'm currently at my parents' place right now because they've been social distancing. So have I. So and it was just three of us. So I did like head over for Thanksgiving. Uh, I hadn't finished the the Demon Souls remake before I had headed down here, so I decided to try and finish it up on remote play. wasn't a great idea. wasn't a great time. Uh, I bashed my head against the wall for False King. Oh God! Way too long. With uh, it would be one thing if it was a consistent delay, but the fact that at some points it was like no delay whatsoever, pretty much, and then other times it's like, oh my god, this feels like a, like almost a second of delay, and then it's like lag spikes and whatnot. Uh, I, I almost got a scary boss either way. Yeah, I almost got him. Uh, literally, I was one hit away, and then I eventually just decided, you know what? I have nothing to prove. I've Killed him legit on the PS3 version. Obviously, if there wasn't this delay, I'd have no problems killing him. So I just did the luck exploit and was like, okay, I'm done. I mean, I would would say, like, how dare you? But I also uh, shot him through the fog door on the PS3 version. So I do not have a leg to stand on. (laughs) And and for context on that, the luck exploit is like, it still hasn't been patched in the game and in the current state of the game, as far as I'm aware. It's basically there's a way to 
basically uh get a lot a lot a lot of souls to level up your luck in that game and there's a, a, a weapon it's that not even use. souls it's um basically the way it works is is that um so for the most part demon souls remake is identical like mechanically to the original like even enemy ai is the same for better or worse like man eater probably could have had better ai but that's neither here nor there they did add a few new items though one of those being the gold coin drop which you can get from any of the fat official enemies with a very low drop chance and that item if you pop it it's a consumable it gives you extra luck but there's currently a bug where if you pop it and then talk immediately to the Maiden in Black in the Nexus, it'll basically infinitely loop, giving you the extra luck. And it'll take you from, like, whatever luck stat you had when you first popped it to, like, literally in several thousands. <laughs> and, okay. and there's one weapon in the game that actually scales based off your luck. So if you use the exploit and use that weapon, you can literally one-shot every boss in the game. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but if there's an exploit like in the game that's easy to like take advantage of, I find it's really hard to find to get like that to have the moral high ground or whatever and not use it. And the example that I always use, and I might have already used this on a Tetracast, sorry if I have, but the original Dark Clouds broken dagger glitch. To, to try to glean over the, the systems there. Basically, it's a way to superpower your weapons just by taking advantage of a bug in one of the game's menus. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you're struggling in that game, you just do this little quick thing that anyone can do without any external like hack or anything, or even like anything. It's literally like buttons you press in the menu and you can like superpower your weapons. And whenever there's an exploit in game or like the fog door, um, or shooting Manus from the cliff <laughs> for the Dark Souls DLC, I find myself just I don't know. I don't I don't feel bad taking advantage of those exploits over like I never do those using exploits, a, using a trainer. I I'm just like I just want to play the game. Not to say like like normally I guess. Maybe I'm just boring. I'm just like I just want to <laughs> I want to play the game normally. <laughs> it it depends on the like how much I'm taking away. If it's like oh, okay, this one boss is going to be like a little bit ganked. I don't mind, but if it's like yeah, I'm just going to the sonic boom use knuckles to beat the game in like 10 minutes like why why would you do that like why pay money for a game and then just like yeah this is worth 10 minutes of my time i mean i know sonic boom's a bad game but like why example, did you uh why did you play sonic boom i didn't well, I'm not. <laughs> why not wasn't that game good game yeah i played a bit of sonic boom at like one of nintendo's like they used to do this thing where, like, at SDCC or, like, San Diego Comic-Con, there's, like, they have this, like, booth set up at the hotel next to the convention center where they have, like, a bunch of demos. And I remember playing, like, Sonic Boom before it came out there for, like, not even a full minute. I grab the controller, I just move around a little bit, and then it's like, okay, I've seen enough. <laughs> <laughs> that bad? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was just one of those things where it didn't even feel good to control, like, off the jump. And it's like, yeah, no, no, I, I, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, yeah, um, normally I don't exploit either. The only reason I even bothered is, well, I wanted to get the, like, finish the game. I was super close. And also, again, like, 
literally a year ago, I finished the original PS3 version. So again, I had nothing to prove. It's just like, you know what? Just going to finish this up and uh, I'll go back and do the uh, rest of the trophies legit. That sort of deal. Have you got the Platinum yet? Are you on the way to it? Oh no, I haven't even touched it after I finished it. Because I'm still, like, don't have direct access to my PS5. So I don't want to stream it again. Uh, do you, okay. st- do you still have to farm forever, like, one specific enemy for pure blade zones? No, you don't. Um, actually, one thing I really like that they've done about the remake is that they've changed up the trophy list a bit so that there's still some grindy achievements. Like, you need to get all of the rings, you need to get all of the magics and miracles. But there's also a bunch of really neat kind of challenge trophies. Like, one is you roll through the fool's idol, like, Gatling gun of arrows. Uh, Instead so, of taking yeah, a yeah, route, we, we did we did like discuss this a little bit, like on uh, I think last week or the week before, just uh, just different ways to take down bosses that uh, normally weren't like, there. Yeah. Original. Very neat stuff. It's one. It's those are the types of trophies I like the most because it's not like something you have to grind for, but it's also something that you wouldn't necessarily do normally, and it's like a cool little idea. So, like, huge props to Blue Point for making the Demon Souls remake trophy list actually good. Yeah, trophies that somehow manage not to be checklists in terms of do X of Y are, I don't know how to say this. I appreciate them. I think those are the ones where they actually do elevate the game where it's like, hey, have you tried doing this? And you might, you might not have in the normal course of playing through this, but it's something you can do. We'll give you, we'll give you a little bit of a, a digital cookie if you do it right. So who else has a PS5? Uh, Josh, have you been playing, uh, Anything uh, on it in week number three? Uh, well, I was like, okay, I really don't like, uh, you know, playing long games and whatnot. So, like, uh, being like, you know, being working for RPG side, I thought, like, we play obviously a lot longer games than, you know, most other normal sites because we're like, oh, RPGs are only getting longer these days uh, or whatnot. So, True. I decided, so I decided, hey, why don't I play short games like Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Persona 5 Royal? <laughs> Um, uh, wait, I, I'm confused, Josh. Uh, those two games are very, very uh, long games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love short games, so I play Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Persona Five. Yeah, well, yeah. Why can't, actually... we, why can't we? Why can't we be? Uh, why can't we do a first-person shooter campaign site? <laughs> or something Holy, like. well, what are we doing? That'd be great. Uh, um, here's 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 a disclaimer. I actually kind of. I haven't done it recently, but I love playing through like Call of Duty campaigns. Like I, th- I think they're kind of dumb fun, and I enjoy it legitimately. No, I agree. That I Modern Warfare's one was great. I, I still haven't got onto Cold War, but yeah, I am actually very intrigued to finally hear one of us talk about Valhalla a bit. Yeah, um, I I'm about like maybe a little over twenty hours into that now. I've so the, I haven't played an Assassin's Creed game since. Brotherhood, I think. I, so, I was gonna. I, that's what I was gonna ask. Is have you played? So there's. So Assassin's Creed kind of has this soft split, like pre Origins and post Origins. I was wondering yeah. if you had played Origins or Odyssey. No, never played Origins. Never played Odyssey. So I'm just kind of going to this new action RPG era of Assassin's Creed fresh. And I'm like, man, this is this is a lot to take in, man. This, this thing's all open world now. There's whole skill trees, and you're leveling up, and you have loot like uh progression they all have stats and numbers i'm like what am i playing this is are, are there damage floaters though yeah there's there there's damage numbers. oh there that's yep. that's the only thing you need to be an rpg yeah, exactly 
Um, so this one, uh, you take uh, control of a Viking named Eivor, and Eivor can either be a man or a woman, uh, up to you. And there's this weird, like, I guess, animus plot thing going on, and, and the animus thing is like the real life section of the game, um, where you can be you can be a man in some scenes and a woman in some scenes. You let the animus decide because there's like two strands mixed in and i was like okay i guess i mean i don't know i just i just picked the dude because i'm like i don't i don't want to like talk, want to think about two different appearances so i'm just like i'll just pick the yeah, dude I like it, I like it. But, but the idea <laughs> I, the idea is that like normally the gender selection is just like an artifice of it being a video game but here it's just it's actually like tied into like being explained away due to the framework of the story yeah, I guess. I mean, I, look, I don't know anything about what the state of Assassin's Creed world is anymore. Like, Me I, either. The Assassin's Creed, I remember, was like this dude, this loser named Desmond, and Ezio being cool. And now it's like this woman named Layla. And she's somewhere in a log cabin, and they found like the bones of Eivor. And like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> so uh, the the basic, like, foundation of this game off the get-go is um at a young age avor uh was separated from his parents because his village got attacked and this like uh what's what's the name of this bad dude like krutville or i'm gonna mess up every single name in this game that's not avor <laughs> by the way because i'm just like i don't remember how they pronounced it um th- th- basically uh murdered uh his or her parents and um like you take control of Eivor sometime later. He's part of this, like, uh, the Raven clan, and you eventually, like, take revenge of your parents by conf- confronting this guy. There's like two open world sections of this game. The first st- takes place in Norway, and that's a very mountainous, very snowy. Uh, it's a very, it's pretty expansive, but like, kind of limited what you can do early on. And then for plot reasons, um, you decide, you and your brother decide to take your Raven clan to England um, because you didn't want to be part of the alliance that's happening in Norway after you took down Krutville. Um, so the second open world map uh, takes place in England, and uh, that's where the game technically really begins. And uh, the the game like has you... Uh, and I, I don't know if I'm in the early goings or not. I'm going to assume I'm still in the early goings where you're building up the this settlement uh, and uh, you get resources to build up buildings in your settlement by uh, raiding like nearby like towns and villages and pillaging them for their goods and whatnot. So like, I guess the, the hook for this game is that you take command of like your longboat with Vikings and there'll be certain points as you uh, sail down the, the rivers of like, Vikings, Hey, you uh, seeking a better life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And so, yeah, you, you have like these points as you go travel along the river. It's like, hey, you want to go raid here? It's like, yeah, let's go raid there. And then he blows the horn and it's like, all right, time to raid. So you and like like maybe a dozen of your Vikings uh, dismount and then just go to town on this village as you um, kill all the baddies. Not, the, not, the, not any of the innocent people. All the innocent people are fleeing for their lives outside only the ones that have weapons against you that you're uh, really doing the slaughtering at uh, <laughs> and like you know t- trying to get their goods and whatnot and the, those dang villains defending their home yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and i guess the the there's a weird like how progression this game because 
uh, around the map, you'll just like you see you'll see just these little light auras that are like either go, like golden or blue and whatnot, and you won't really know what those are until you get closer to them. It's like, oh, what could this be? Like the golden ones are usually like loot based. Like, oh, you might get like a, an upgrade uh, or an item like a carbon ingot to upgrade like your weapon or armor or whatnot, or you might get like a new some gear and whatnot. You won't really know until you get closer to it. Or a blue one could be like uh, a side quest, a little sub story, uh, some weird phenomenon. Like some of them could be like, oh, you have to complete this weird um, anomaly thing that's like glitching in the animus. So you're like, you complete like these platforming challenges as Layla back in the real world to solve this an- anomaly. And there's just a whole bunch of bizarre shit in this game. Like since it's like said in that era. Wait, I like, think I need, I need to have you back up. Complete okay. platforming challenges as Layla. Okay, so there are these like <laughs> thing like one of the, like the blue aura things that. Oh, Le- Layla's the modern. The, the, uh, yeah, the modern protagonist, yeah. and like some of them will be like, "Oh, it's glitching out this tree." So you approach it, and then Avor touches this thing, and you're transported back to Layla, and Layla sees these like hologram platforms back in the real world that she has to scale up and these like hologram platforms are literally like floating in the air so you're like... it's super weird so i'm not an assassin's creed fan but one of my friends is and he's recently been playing through the uh-huh. series and that sounds basically like a callback to a really shitty like assassin's creed 3 dlc or Great. something awesome. like i don't know what the fuck i like like all i'm telling you is what i've like Played, I actually don't have no idea what the fuck I'm actually playing. So I like, was like I'm just nodding to like, okay, that's the thing. I'm my my brain is my brain is still stuck on platforming challenges as Layla. Because a, who wants to play the modern game part or the modern day part, and b, who wants to do like platforming in this game? Like, I don't. I just. I, I will say this. What? I wish I had something more like enlightening to say about this, but I'm just like fod. To defend the game that everyone always chooses to shit on when it comes to Assassin's Creed, which I half get, half don't, Assassin's Creed Unity had the perfect implementation of modern day. Because what it would do there is you just like teleport in time and you'd be climbing the Eiffel Tower in like current time and you'd like be exploring like a World War II area. It, it, they, they, those were basically platform challenges as well. So I guess like that's what they're what they like to do with like the animus they'll be like yeah something's wrong go climb that like but unity did it really well so like to me i actually kind of like the idea of that so like okay so this is like set at the time period where like things weren't very sanitary so there's a lot of like sub stories that deal with like filth in this game like there'll be this one sub story it's like dude my house is literally like smells like shit please like carry this shit out and um, the reason why it smells like shit is because my dad, like, hasn't bathed in, like, fucking forever. So please get him to take a bath. And then, he's like, he's standing on this platform, like, filled with, like, green fumes all, all around him. And you have to shoot down the platform that's, like, o- oversees, like, a body of water. And it's like, okay, there you go. And it's like, it could be as simple as that, or it could be, like... Don't tank uh, Assassin's Creed. Don't tank Assassin's Creed. Yeah, I'm just like thinking, I'm like, what in the world's going on? Like, there's a really grim one early on, like back in the Norway map, where you stumble upon this guy who's like, oh man, you know, I I hauled all these goods up here to like, I just wanted to throw out like all my worldly possessions and whatnot and be free from it. So after you just do the act of just like carrying 
like boxes and throwing them over this mountain. He's like, okay, thanks, goodbye. He just like commits like suicide in front of you. Like, oh, what the fuck? Like, this is weird. There's a lot of weird things. There's like some, there's also these things out in the world where like cursed areas and you have to find the source of them to make it stop being spooky. I'm just like, I don't really know what I'm playing. Like the the basic setup that that I'm doing right now is I have this base settlement that I want to upgrade and and also like find nearby allies because this is like a new land that uh, me and my Viking bros are in. And it's like, oh, we need to make allies. We need to get like a better lay of the land. Like so I it's just it feels like a lot of like nonsense and distractions. It's not necessarily bad. Like I kinda dig the gameplay aspect of it, but because of the way I've spec'd. Like early on, you're you can do like uh have like a single like a one-handed axe or a dual axes or an axe and a shield. You can basically mix and match any game or any weapon in this game to be dual wielded or be or be paired with a shield or not or even have dual shields if you want. And uh, I was like this this combat doesn't feel rewarding or satisfying like for these things. So what what I did with my build is I had um this big two-handed like axe halberd that you get early on after you like do your first raid and you get this weapon. I'm like, "Oh, this is really cool. Combat feels really satisfied with these heavy weapons because uh they do a lot of damage." And like the just the animations for like killing off enemies, like dismembering them, like you know, for this kind of game, like I was like felt satisfying, like okay, sweet. And then I spec uh, the skill tree. The skill tree is kind of like almost kind of reminds me of Path of Exile, uh, where it's kind of it kind of feels a little bit overwhelming at first until you like you start specking into things. The nice thing about this is like you can freely unspec at any time, and it'll cost nothing. So like oh, I, I, I expect into this node that i don't i don't want anymore you can just like hold down um x to like undo it or something and you can do that as many times as you want and there's even a, a button that says oh like you know uh reset all skills if you want to do a totally different build at any time but no that's cost. cool just, that's really cool um so there's this one node on that skill tree it's like oh you can uh heavy dual wield so i just have like my big Two, what normally would be a two-handed axe halberd on one hand and like a big great sword on the other, and I'm just dual wielding that to just feel like that, a that fucking, sounds cool. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I just feel like a fucking tank, and it feels really good. And that's how I made the um, the combat feel satisfying because the combat's like it's very aggressive. Where like you do light attacks with R1 and heavy attacks with like L1 or parries, but your stamina only is only consumed either if you whiff like an attack or if you dodge. And if you hit with an attack, it'll refill your stamina. So you can basically wail on someone relentlessly without any stamina loss as long as you keep hitting them within within your combo and whatnot. And that's actually a pretty cool way to like make it engaging. Um and so there's there's like an aspect of that, like I just want to feel like the visceralness of it. And the, that feels really good. There's also this um upgrade on the, the skill tree where if you like if you do an instant dodge it'll like activate witch time from bayonetta so you can like slow down time after a dodge as well and that's like helped me out on very tough like battles like there's a, a battle that i think i was discord streaming to brian and adam on our staff discord where i was like going up against like this warlock uh, and then that, that was like a very intense one-on-one duel and it required like a lot of like perfect dodges for me to like uh, get uh, in reliable hits and openings, and that that felt really good to overcome. 
I want I want to see you use visceralness in every mm-hmm. piece. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm like, is that even a word? I don't know. <laughs> um, and I think there's like a weird like way this game wants you to progress because as you're traveling the open world map, there are definitely areas which are out of your power level. Like, hey, the power level of this is like 160. I'm like at 50 or something. It's like, oh, I can't go there or I can't tackle this like area. You see, it's definitely guiding you towards a certain like route of like power progression and and whatnot. It's kind of, I don't know. It feels okay, I guess. It makes sense. I feel kind of gypped that I'm like not able to like expand in the way that I want to because like, oh, I'm just going to get one shot in this area or like, the, like there'd be no point in doing this at the moment because... I'd have to be like a supreme god gamer or something to like just perfect dodge everything and like not like do shit damage, but I'll be able to overcome it one day. I don't know. Obviously, I haven't it, played um, Valhalla, but I do like when certain regions of the map or certain areas of the game, like the, the game doesn't doesn't do anything to hard block you from going there, but it's just going to be more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like like going like going down into the catacombs early in Dark Souls or whatever. Nothing's stopping you, but you're probably going to struggle if you don't go into the the undead bird first. Um, so I, I think I would prefer like I don't know how much I don't know how I feel about like something that basically boils down to a gear score. Like oh my number, yeah, is yeah that's, that's what it is. In, in, instead yeah, of one sixty. So like I don't like the idea of gear score just boiling. Like I played a lot of Division Two, which does the same thing, where it's just like oh my score isn't good enough, so I'm not allowed to be here yet. Even, well, I'm allowed to be here, but like I'm not supposed to be. I, I I wish that like gear score thing wasn't there. I get why they did it, but I, I, I'm just. It kind of reminds me of like how Dragon's Dogma did of like, oh, it did that did it well because like the world, the, the way they constructed that world, it's like, oh, this is a very like hostile world if you step into like the wrong spot. It's not like, oh, you can't go to the forest. The, your gear score is like 50 and they require like 180 gear score to be like to get to the forest of Dragon's Dogma reliably. Like, no, like I, even if the mechanics weren't changed a lot, just the fact that it plasters it like on a number where it's just like, your number yeah. needs to be this in order for you to be, you know, have a good time here. There's something about that where I'm like, I wish you just didn't tell me that. I wish they just let me figure that out <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I, th- I think the game is a lot of fun, but a lot of it is very like a lot of, I, I always have like question marks in my head when I'm like playing this game because I feel there's a lot of nonsense in this game. Um, it's just a lot of like tangential things that could like just distract you. There's a lot of things that's like, oh, I'm going to go over there to like progress the story, but there's like things that are distracting me in the way that like I guess it. I guess it's working on me because I don't know what this is. So I better get closer to it, and I guess that's the what's the intent. That's the intention of the developer, right? And there, there are even these things like in the world, like which is like, oh, there are these fucking mushrooms, and you get high off of them, and you have to complete the challenge while you're high off these mushrooms. So Thank like, you. Uh, for start, I don't know if this is the right thing to attribute that to, but I feel like Batman Arkham Asylum, the first one. Did, uh-huh. Was that the one that did the, the Scarecrow missions? Scarecrow, yeah. And I, I feel like, I don't know if that was the first one, but I feel like ever since then, like so many games do this, like here's your, here's this random thing that we can't explain away unless so your character is, is high. <laughs> yeah, there's a really weird thing about this game. It's like when you do that, like like the narrative around it is like Avor like gains like some sort of like like lesson or like awakening to like some sort of lesson or enlightenment to it it's like ah by like uh piecing together that like i went to this gate only to like see this burning house and then like something something it's like it taught me that like 
don't be so attached to like your worldly possessions or like or how lead a simple life. Ah, I get it now. It's like, what the what? fuck? <laughs> what? What in the world? I guess. Sure, Avor. I mean, uh, I, yes, absolutely. I, I uh, love the idea that Avor's just taking mushrooms. Like, yeah, guys, I need to take these mushrooms to learn like the hidden truth of this. Like, don't, don't yeah, judge me. I, I understand like the meaning of life now after getting high off of these mushrooms. Like, okay, well, <laughs> uh, I can see where you're coming from. So it's a very, very strange game. I, uh, as for performance on the PS5, uh, they recently added a patch to both PS5 and Xbox Series X that added a performance and quality mode. I've been only playing a performance because I like the 60 FPS out of it. Um, it works fine uh, most of the time. There, it's not like it's not the most stable 60 FPS, but it's it's it gets there most of the time. That hasn't really bothered me all that much in terms of frame drops, even though it happens here and there. Um, it is a apparently the most recent patch had some issues on PS5 where the frame rate's now less stable than it was before, or something. I haven't really noticed it all that much because I haven't really played with the new patch all that much yet. But I hope that gets fixed. That's annoying. There's also this weird um, I don't know what's going on. There's a weird glitch that's now been fixed, at least on my version of the game, where there was this one night where um. In the skill tree, whenever you're hovering over a node or like a, a node that has like a, a new ability, it would show like this preview video clip of like what it actually does. So you get like a visual cue of or a visual aid of like, okay, that's that's what it looks like. Um, that preview video was like going at like two times or maybe three times fast forward. It looked really fucking goofy. And I'm like, that's very strange. Like, I don't understand that. It's been fixed, but that. Bugs like like minor bugs like that have been there. There's like this weird um bug that Adam and Brian saw in my stream where I was like in Norway. I was sliding down the snow hill and like the the way it like collided with the ground or something just made that I was locked to that sliding animation. It was like just it, it was like kind of like jittering all over the place. Not necessarily the frame rate, but the character model itself was just like just glitching out of like existence very fast. Well, and no no character has lost their skin yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it was like that that was a weird bug like there's just like there's been a few bugs here and there like it haven't been, hasn't really been that big of a deal um and whatnot I, I the one quality of life thing that i really did like for the newest patch was before um on the skill tree not the entire skill tree is in, uh, uncovered it's like a lot of the 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 paths are laid in like uh fogged up and then the only way you can uncover them before was if you uh unlock the node that would connect them to that to that specific like part of the tree so like um let's say i'm like specking to like the north of the skill tree but i don't know what's at the north so i would get this get this node that links to that uncovered part and that'll uncover it and then i would like take that node back like unspec it so because i only wanted to know like the abilities there in that tree essentially I'm like, it was kind of like a weird, like, not not necessarily, um, it was very unintuitive. So what they did in the newest patch is it won't uncover the whole skill tree, but it'll show you like the main abilities and the nodes uh, there. So like, say now uh, that northern like covered skill tree, you'll see like the main abilities there, like that, like one big node there. So like you have a good idea of like, okay, I want to start specking towards there because that has like, an ability that seems cool for the build that I want. So that's a smart change that I really like. And yeah, I'm just 
I don't know. There's there's a lot to talk about this game, but I think I got most of the bases down, I guess. It's still very strange to me. I'll continue playing through it. It's a very long game, probably. There's still probably a lot of game left, despite being 20 hours in. And uh, so I was like, okay, the... Uh, the to you know not burn myself out of this game. Let me go uh, play a much smaller game. Obviously, like Persona Five Royal, which I got on like the Black Friday deal. Now that it's like fifty percent off, I was like, I, I didn't want to like take the plunge on that game full price because I've already played through this game. Uh, I played through the base Persona Five version like three times already. I was like, I don't need to go through this again at full price. But Wait, I why, did, why did why did you play through it three times? Okay, so the the first time I played through the Japanese version all the way through, then I played through the English version two times because I wanted to do the new game plus fight with the twin. So that's ah, okay. That's actually not not too crazy. Well, well, maybe, was, maybe maybe a little crazy. That new game plus wasn't that bad. The things that carry over, but so there's like kind of like my fourth playthrough of that game, but not my first time on the royal version. Um, it's almost the same game so far i'm like halfway through the second dungeon is madarame's palace and that's about maybe i'm like 15 or so hours in right now like yeah yesterday the day after thanksgiving i was like you know what it just feels like it's i'm still on holiday weekend and it just feel like playing persona and i just played persona like almost all day and i don't know uh i don't know why it's like it's i'm not having a bad time it's just kind of like a lot it's just a lot of the same game. It's, I still enjoy, but a lot of it still feels like it has my head scratching of like why they did this. Essentially, like I don't know. I still don't get why I couldn't like transfer over my progress just to see the new content because, like, there are there are scenes where like yes, it's different. You're so showing this new character alluding to her that she'll maybe be rele- relevant. And it's like okay, cool. I've kind of interacted her uh, from the 15 hours I played so far. I've like maybe interacted with her maybe three or four times. It's like okay, cool, <laughs> and then wow. and then they've I've unlocked this new uh, confidant, the the counselor Arcana, which is the, one of the deals with one of the new like obviously the new uh, social link in that game, and the the the, the narrative like foundation of that is like oh you know you've been uh, through a lot on this first arc, and you know I'm just here looking out for the mental health of like my students. It's like okay, I guess like. It's kind of like a weird setup for it, but uh, sure, if that's the way you're going to justify it. And so, like, there, it's a way to like get new demons in that game too, because there's like a new, like, counselor, like, line of demons in that game, which is weird, but okay. And as for like gameplay changes, I really like the at least the quality of life change of like having to ref- uh, it refills your ammo like a- after every battle now, so you're more, you can use your guns a lot more or your uh, at least your projectile ammo, like your slingshot or your Ryuji shotgun, Ryuji shotgun, and th- those are more relevant instead of like, oh, I used all of them and I can't use them until like I revisit the palace next. No, it's after every battle it'll refill, which is cool. Um, which means like you know you're able to conserve SP uh, better. There's like these things in the dungeon now where you can use grappling hooks, but they're kind of it's kind of it feels bolted on. It's like okay, like. Like for example, like in Madarami's Palace, there's like this um early on in that uh dungeon, there's like this like big room where you just kinda of, in the original you would just like run across. In this one, 
like it's like filled with lasers now so you have to use your the grappling hook to get across it. it's like <laughs> okay great and then there are other times where like you use the grappling hook to like get get treasure on like areas that were weren't previously there it doesn't really like impede it anyway but just one of those things that's that it feels like it's like oh they just obviously just put it there to try and justify selling this game to you again at full price and then there's like this new mechanic called will seeds uh throughout uh the dungeon where you can like uncover three of these uh which will you can regenerate sp every time you find one of one of these it's like to get through the dungeon easier like in one shot i guess um and not have sp be a big worry uh unlike the original but i don't know it's, it's a lot of it is just like the same game. i wish i could like add something like meaningful to it but right now it's like i won't really get into i guess the new stuff until like the end of the base game which is like okay well there's a lot of game left for that so i, I have a few comments okay um first of all like i agree with you that i do feel like a lot of it is the same i do think it is better with things like being able to use your guns more often i felt like the limitation in the original was just kind of weird considering mm-hmm. guns weren't like they weren't like super duper powerful so the fact that you were only limited to like 10 bullets or something for a whole dungeon run just seemed like that's kind of a waste so that change i like where you can use them in every battle yeah um like that change i like there's a few like additional shortcuts in a few of the dungeons that make traversing them a little easier with the grappling hook um that's especially good in some of the later dungeons and there were a there are a couple of other tweaks like with um Okumura's dungeon that make it a little bit better. I'm not going to spoil anything, but just slightly better dungeon progression here and there. So, like, I would definitely say it is better, but a lot of it is the same. Um, Really? Yeah. The counselor counselor arc does eventually lead into, like, this is kind of obvious, and again, I won't spoil anything, but the counselor arc that you kind of started and the stuff with the new Kasumi character will eventually converge and lead into the the new chapter. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I'm a little bit against the grain here where a lot of people really like what the new chapter offered, but I have been on this podcast before saying that it, I, it did not click with me. Yeah, I want to um, see it. So you'll be, it'll be interesting to see what you, th- what you, th- what you think. Um, but yeah, I just kind of... It, it, that new chapter is basically like an additional dungeon in it with an additional story, but I don't know. I just I didn't really. It, it's okay. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it actually unfolds. And I'll, uh, hopefully, I get there before you know. I will say that we'll see. <laughs> um, you do have to do you do have to do a few things to get to that new chapter. Mm-hmm. And when I met the when I got to the ending of the original base game again, I was almost wondering if I missed it because like the ending of the base game is still as like dramatic and like climactic as it was before. And it's almost that ending is almost done in the same way. And I was kind of like, is this like, am I back to like the normal ending of the game? Did I like miss it or did I miss the new chapter? And I didn't, it's just that the the original ending is pretty much still there all intact. It just sort of continues afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. I I know there are prerequisites to it. So I know like a a, a friend of mine, like, totally misses like i don't get it like did they add anything yeah. it's like oh did you do like the prerequisites like wait what like like it, it feels kind of sh- it feels super shitty that like you still need like like specific like prerequisites to access the new content of that i forget uh, what it is exactly there's a few different ones but you basically you want to get high enough with kasumi and with her social link and 
Um, obviously, you do the other things you need to do with like your interrogation scenes to get to the regular ending. Um, so it, it, yeah, it just feels like it just feels shitty that like oh you would you're still sealing this thing off, uh, off until like unless you do a very specific route to get to it, which like I don't know exactly like how strict it is, but it just it feels like people could still miss this. Like people like. Uh, like my friend like is like i don't get it like it's like oh wait did you didn't you have to do this like oh, wait I, I have to do that um mm -hmm. other other than that like I, I do like that it's a lot more at least free form in terms of like what you can do like at least nighttime isn't so restrictive anymore i can actually like go uh to shibuya at night and like do part-time jobs um mm -hmm. at nighttime like there's still there's still a very little like Oh well, you're too tired today, uh, MC. And, uh, you need to fucking chill out and go to sleep. It's like, mate, can I craft? Like, you need to fucking go to sleep, dude. So they still know that, but not not as much. This I do kind of feel like I'm almost. It almost gets to the point, and maybe it does in some regards, where I feel like the game almost throws too many conveniences at you. Um, eventually, like there is a way in Mementos now. With have you met Jose? Yeah, or Jose. I guess it is Jose. It's, yeah, it's pronounced Jose. It looks like Jose, but Jose. Um, there is a way to like abuse his his bonuses relatively easily to to gain massive amounts of exp and money and mementos. And like, I remember I was like near the end of the main game, and I had like max, literally like had like the money limit and like high level demons and all that. Just like. Okay, I kind of just broke the difficulty of this game without even trying. And I don't know. It's, it's they throw a lot of conveniences at you overall. Yeah. So, but you know, that, that, that's that's what I've been playing uh, two very short mm -hmm. games. I'm having to. I'm probably going to get them done both uh, tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll be finished up by next week, and you'll let us know. Yeah. It's like, huh. Yeah. Here, this um, might be a can of worms. I might regret uh, opening. But what do you think about the TGA's putting Persona Five Royal as a nomination for Best RPG of this year? I mean, it, it is technically an RPG that came out this year. It's always weird with like Persona Five Royal is so, so weird because like it's like it's it feels like it's probably like eighty to eighty five percent of the same game. <laughs> and it's like okay, well, I don't know because this know. year also has um, Xenoblade Definitive uh, Edition and yet. Demon Souls. So, like, for example, in our last year's in our in last year's uh, our awards for our website last year. We ultimately decided not to consider Dragon Quest Eleven S because we basically gushed about it the year before with the normal version, and it was our runner-up. And while Dragon Quest Eleven S is basically a better version of the game, yes, it was just sort of like we already gave this game its time in the spotlight. It just didn't really feel right to give it, you know, have it place high again for a second year in a row for a re-release. So that's what we decided, and that's. But it's always like. It's always a, a discussion to have, like, is, how much did it add? How much of it is the same? It's, it's like, okay, like, imagine if, like, Game Boy Tetris came out every year. It's like... Best game ever, all the time. It's like, yeah, it'd be like, uh, what's the best case? It's, it's going to be that, it's going to be Tetris. Like, it's like, wait, but what about the other? He's like, oh, no, it's, 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 it's objectively better than every video game. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, well, okay. The way I like to view it, and... This is my obligatory Kingdom Hearts reference, but if you released, say, 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 we'll, we'll talk Kingdom Hearts three. Say you release a final mix version of the game that includes Remind, which I've gone on record to say really does improve the game, 
not amazing on its own right, but like if you add the update and the boss fights, it's really, really good endgame content. I still wouldn't count that Final Mix version as a new release. As much as I love Kingdom Hearts, as much as I would rather people play the better version of it, it would, in my my eyes, categorise as like its own separate category of being like, oh, best re-release, best definitive edition. I think that's that's how I'd view it. I think that's where we are leaning towards because there's been so many re-releases. There's like we can. There's obviously some re-releases are better than others, and we can kind of put it in that category. But then you have stuff like Demon Souls, where it's like, well, it's a remake, and it it almost looks completely different, and performs way way better, but it's functionally so similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's the yeah. difficult one, Demon Souls. Yeah. We've talked about it before with Xenoblade Blade Definitive Edition, which is almost as difficult as well because that is a complete graphical overhaul in many ways, mm-hmm. but it's just content. So it's like, where where do you draw the line? Just because Demon Souls is next gen, is that is that where the line's drawn, or because it's like an older game? Like, what we're saying to our viewers is, please uh, look forward to Game of the Year discussions. Where we're going to be like, oh man, what we no matter what we decide, people will be mad at us. <laughs> hey, I, yeah, I can't believe you left hey, something I'm... out of the top five because you just scored Xenoblade or Demon no, Souls. If, if we or don't, if we I can't don't, believe I, Souls. Oh, exactly. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're already doomed from the get-go just off of uh, the Cold Steel 4 problem. That is also yeah. another factor to keep in mind. But yeah, also we talked about last week on the podcast, like pretty soon, like within the next year, we'll probably see more and more games get like, like at some point we're going to see Final Fantasy X and X-2 remastered for the PS5 <laughs> and stuff like that or, or 12 or other games. And it's just like, man, don't say that, man. That's just super at, 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 at some point, you gotta like just cut it off and be like, "All right, like you are in your maybe own Square, bucket." Maybe Square yeah. Enix will do something really weird and like remaster a saga game. I don't know. Hmm. They would never hmm. do that. Yeah. Stay tuned. Any other final thoughts on uh, Persona Five Royal? Um, no, it's a. a, a... Until I get I get to new content like in three hundred hours, uh, maybe I will. Who knows? All uh, right, looking at looking at the list of games we've been playing, because we 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 a little behind baseball here. We write down all the games we're planning on talking about in this little introductory section, and I see that James put down Atelier Riza, which you haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Did you have? Uh, I know you started it pretty recently. I don't know if you had any initial thoughts on it because uh, I know you've also been I, bouncing between other Atelier games. So yeah. Uh... When I started this year, I wasn't expecting to really get into the Atelier franchise, though I also wasn't expecting to get bit by the Final Fantasy XIV bug. But, um, yeah. later. Yeah, so, earlier this year, I played through Atelier Aisha. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and I enjoyed it. And I've slowly been get, going through the Atelier uh, franchise. Um, but, um... I guess some inside baseball here. Uh, I'm probably going to be the one that ends up reviewing Ryza 2, so I figured, well, I should play through the first Ryza. And I haven't exactly been feeling entirely, like, bit by uh, Eskin Logie. Like, it's good, but it's not exactly what I've been in the mood for. So I figured, okay, well, Ryza is on sale on Steam, like, for the fall sale, so I'll pick it up and start playing through it. And, um... I'm really liking it. Like, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, 
I guess just to get a bit of uh, perspective is that the Atelier franchise has always been known for a number of things. Obviously, the most important being the crafting systems, the alchemy systems, and the way that you basically gather materials. And then there's like not so much a mini game, but a whole meta game to how you use these materials and like the qualities that that they have and the elemental properties they have in order to bolster the items and equipment that you make using alchemy from them. And whereas um, Atelier, the other two Atelier games I've played have had like time limits where there's kind of a sort of min-maxing aspect to it where you need to have a game plan from the very get-go and you can't really stray too much from it if you want to be as um, efficient as you can be. Ryza is different in that there is no time limit. So instead of there being instead of the core of the game being the min-max aspect of trying to make sure you craft things in a timely manner, it's Ryza is more about the exploration, I I would say. Um First off, like, Ryza itself is a bit of a graphical leap from previous Atelier games, especially, well, at least compared to what I've seen. And it's got a bit of a different gameplay loop. Uh, one of the biggest changes, I'd say, is that the way that gathering works. And one of the things I really like is that, so you have these gathering tools that you can equip, and depending on the gathering point, there might be um, different ways for you to gather from them. Like if it's a, a good example would be if it's a tree, you can hit it with your staff to knock down fruit or nuts or stuff like that. You can use a sickle or a scythe to carve bark off it or vines, or you can use an axe to just get wood from like chopping the tree. And since there's like a variety of different gathering tools that you can craft over like time, it, makes good use of the relatively limited like world that it has because every like atelier is basically a yearly franchise hell last year we got three of them so clearly um each each game isn't necessarily going to be some massive like leap forward with tons of content and whatnot but i've really been enjoying just um going through it. It has a bit more of a story than uh, Eskin Logi, which was kind of like my one problem with Eskin Logi that like, so Atelier you're, Eskin... you're basically preempting me because I was actually going to ask like, what did Ryza 2 have that hooked you more strongly that, that you mean Ryza Eska... 1 sorry, yeah Ryza, you're playing Ryza 1 in preparation for Ryza 2 which is coming out next January over here um, so what did Ryza 1 have that hooked you that Eskin Logi had or was missing that had you fall off of it? It's not necessarily a problem with Eskin Logi, I'd say. It's just what I've been in the mood for. One of the reasons I've really enjoyed Aisha is that it did have that min-max uh, time management deal that you had to consider, but it also had a really nice hook with the story. Granted, Atelier never really has super in-depth stories, but the way that it was framed in Aisha was a very personal one, where Aisha herself needs to figure out a way to rescue her sister from being spirited away within three years. Which, from the get-go, it makes sense why you're doing the things that you are, and there's a reason for you to care, because it's like, oh, she's trying to rescue her sister. In Eskin Logi, it's just, okay, you are now government workers, you're government alchemists, you are just 
given these assignments, you need to finish, and you're a lot of time, and there are a lot of time, and eventually the story kind of gets going, but it just, especially after the ending of Aisha, where there seemed to be, like, a hint for what was to come and for it to build upon, it just feels like it doesn't really utilize the um, stage that was set at the end of Aisha, which I understand why, because, like, for the most part, it seems like Gus likes to make it so that if you play, like, any of the games within in Atelier Trilogy or Duology or whatnot, they want it to be so that players can jump into any of them at any time, and it's like, oh, you'll recognize these characters from other games if you play different ones, and all that sort of stuff. I understand why, but I feel like one of Aisha's greatest strengths was the way that the world-building and the, like, subtext of the story kind of made things have like a haunting atmosphere which you don't really get in Eskin Logi which is disappointing whereas Ryza it's not necessarily a great story but at least from the get-go you're told okay Ryza is a farmer's daughter and she's incredibly bored and she wants to go on adventures and leave her island and it's like okay it's something it's something and then there is a progression to the story from the get-go where she finds out about alchemy and then she starts it. It's just, the framing of it, I found a lot more immediately engaging, even if it's not necessarily great story, like, great story. Whereas Esken Logi, the gameplay is great. The way that the term system and the assignments work is really nice, and the way that it ties into the min-max aspect of it is really cool, and I do enjoy it. It's just, right now, it's not um exactly what i'm in the mood for and unlike aisha it doesn't really have that good story to keep me hooked so there, there's a weird irony to that when you're talking about esken loji's like kind of weak story or weak narrative because that's the one that got like an anime adaptation some years ago and then yeah. it's like it's the one that's phrased for gameplay and then yet somehow that's the one that got the anime adaptation like doesn't really have a great story or a story but yep it's the one that got the adaptation yeah, and I do hear that, like, at the very end, it has a good story, but it's also like, well, Dude, you just okay. gotta play, like, 50 hours, and it'll get, the game will get good. Well, no, the good thing about Atelier games is that because they're made to be replayed to a certain extent, most of them are, like, only, like, 20 hours long, which is not that long for an RPG, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just thinking one of the people who do, who do say that in earnest, though, for games in general. That, that's, but, yeah, that's um, about as but yeah as I've as really as been enjoying Ryza. Yeah been really enjoying Ryza. Uh, I actually, before I started playing Ryza, I remembered reading some folks saying that they felt that the way the alchemy system was like changed up in Ryza felt overly simplified. And I can kind of see it, but it's still very engaging. Uh, so essentially the way it works, is almost like a spear grid where for each recipe you have, um, a certain number of stuff that you need to put in in order to make something, but then there's, like, branching out, like, almost like a skill tree, where it's like, okay, if you give, if you put this type of ingredient in this spot, there's, like, milestones for, like, this elemental, like, affinity, that if you put enough of this type of ingredient with this elemental affinity in here, it'll give it maybe extra trait slots, or it'll increase its quality. Or it will um, give it a specific skill or a trait or something like that. And then there's like 
ways that it branches off where it's like if you take a specific route, you can unlock an advanced recipe if you do this within the allotted number of um, like items that you can add into the reaction. And there's a metagame to like figuring out, well, not necessarily figuring out, but just real like looking for the right materials the right ingredients in order to get to those advanced um to get to those advanced recipes and it feels it feels nice with the experimentation there um i i still do like the way that it works in the dust trilogy where you have all these skills that you have access to and it's like you you have to it, and it and it feels kind of more like cooking in a sense in a weird way where it's like you have your ingredients and you have to figure out how to use them in the right order and it's not necessarily the same sort of dynamic here but it's still very engaging it still feels very nice to deal with and um because there's no time limit there's also a secondary uh function called um item rebuild which lets you um well so what you can do with materials that you don't need like maybe their quality's garbage and you just don't want to have anything to do with them you can actually um reduce them to these alchemic gems that you can then use in this um feature called item rebuild so after you've made an item you can go back into like the spear grid the skill tree or whatnot and you can spend these alchemic gems in order to add additional materials into the finished product to strengthen it further than you would be able to do normally. Because like everything has more than one branch and you're never going to be able to completely max out a specific items like branch for like um, the skill tree or whatnot your first time through. So there's a metagame to figuring out, okay, what do you want to do when you're first making the item? And then it's like going back later and using these additional materials and gems in order to make it as powerful as you can make it. And that combined with the um, going back and forth between different areas and figuring out, okay, I now I have a hammer. What can I gather from all of these locations that I've already been to before that maybe necessarily I couldn't have gotten before? And it's a lot of fun. It's really nice. The game looks fantastic. Um, it's obviously still a very budget game, but visually, it it's it's very charming. It looks really nice. Uh, I actually just the other day saw some footage of the Switch version. I'm kind of upset that I didn't get the Switch physical now because it really doesn't look all that different from like Mac settings on PC. Which oh well, but yeah, it looks very nice. It plays very nice. The combat isn't necessarily deep, but it feels very engaging. Because the way it works is that unlike previous Atelier games, this one's ATB instead of turn-based. So you and your like two allies are on the field at the same time. Uh, the way it works is, is that you get AP or action points based off of doing regular attacks. And your two like um, allies will automatically be attacking at any time. Like, and you get AP that way, and then you can also do normal attacks on your end, and then at any time you can switch to like which um, of the three characters you're controlling, and you can choose, okay, I want to use this person's skill at this point, or et cetera, et cetera, or you want them to use an item. And the way it works is, is that once you max out the AP gauge, you can level up your tactics level, which allows your normal attacks to do more damage, allows you to do more normal attacks at once, which allows you to increase your AP, and also gives you specific uh, additional like attributes to your regular like your 
AP required skills that each character has. So for example, like Ryza's second skill she unlocks, if you have tactics level three plus, it goes from a single enemy um attack to a uh an attack that'll hit like multiple enemies on the field. And then there's like a whole deal where if you break an enemy's defenses because they have their own like break HP bars, if you use a certain number of AP points to um um, basically skip the AP, uh, well, the ATB bar and just immediately do a skill, you and both your allies will ask you to do just, like, any skill whatsoever, and it's basically an ultra attempt, because you do your skill, and then they both follow up with, like, super powerful moves, and you can do a similar deal if an enemy is, like, charging up an attack and they have, like, a red aura, and it just it's not very deep, but it feels very engaging, which I think works for Atelier, because it's like the combat's it's, it, never a major aspect of the games, but it, it's engaging, which is all you can ask. It's it's enough to not just be immediately sidelined and forgettable and pointless. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, which is, I guess that's all that matters. Though I will say that, um, and this is an issue I also had with um, Eskin Logi when I've been playing through it, is I feel like the use items feel even less relevant than they did previously. Because I remember in Aisha, like, your bread and butter were the items, the use items that you made that you had to use in combat to heal, to attack, all that sort of stuff. And Eskin Logi, there was much more of an emphasis on using skills that each of your party members had, and, like, follow-ups and all that sort of stuff. And, like, items are still powerful, but it didn't feel like you had to engage with them. And now in, like... Ryza, it feels like almost items are an afterthought, because the way it works is, is that you can't just use items that you have in your battle. First off, you can't put items in your, like, field bag to just use. You have to equip them to these, like, things called core crystal slots, and then each time you use an item, it requires, like, core crystal charge, which you only have a finite amount, like, whenever you head out, which means that, yeah, items, when you use them, are powerful, but it's you kind of have to save them for a boss, and you can't really use them normally, which feels weird. And, like, what you can do is, like, when you run out of core crystal charge, you can, like, choose an item to convert to core charge and just don't have access to it until you, like, rest again. But it's still, I don't know, it, it's, it's very different. I do think it's fine in the sense that you're still obviously using the alchemy system to make equipment like your like your gar your uh, armor your weapons and also making items for quests and all that sort of stuff so it's not a big deal but it definitely is like oh that was one of my favorite things about aisha was just making op as hell like use items and just nuking the battlefield but i don't know I i'm still enjoying it quite a bit it's one of those things where there's like there's these little details here and there that are really nice. Like, um, there's uh, notable locations in each of the areas that if you find them, like, or points of interest, that if you find all of them in an area, you can have one of your party members write kind of like a travel guide-esque like, blurb about the location. And depending on who you have write it, there's, like, different, like, flavor text and whatnot for that travel guide based off of, like, that character's personality, which is interesting. It's, like, That's very charming. Cool. Yeah, uh, one thing what I will note What is that reminds me of, sorry, is that, um, again, George is going to laugh at me, but in Bug Fables, when you inspect an enemy <laughs> to, get, to, get, to get their uh, 
their status or their stats. The the flavor text that you get depends on which ally you have inspect them. So it's kind of similar where it's like they could have easily gotten by for these landmarks, just having one specific piece of text that you just unlock or you just like wipe the, you know, you you reveal as, as soon as you have someone write it down. But to have it specific to the person who wrote it is attention to detail that's like appreciated and completely not necessary, but cool nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, one thing I also think is worth mentioning is that people might have gotten the idea that this game was a bit fan servicey and skeevy based off of what people post online. But thankfully, I will say that once you're actually playing the game, it doesn't have any like fan service scenes. It's just completely played straight. Ryza herself is a really powerful protagonist. She's like the one driving the boat that for all intents and purposes. So it's not really a huge thing to, to mention, I guess, but it, it is there. It's like, like for example, like I was in a Discord call with a bunch of people last night, and like I was talking about Ryzen. Like this one um, guy asked because he was looking to find like a game to gift his like uh, niece, and he said, "Oh, well, would it be like suitable for like a teenage girl?" And I said, "Yeah, probably." I mean, basically, the target audience. <laughs> It's like there's I nothing think, I, do think for cases, I, I do think for some games like this, not all games, but some games, there's just a lot of projection online that well, may yeah. not actually be reflected yeah, I, I in agree. the game as much. I agree with, with uh, James because I played this game for some hours and then uh, I don't think Atalia games are for me anymore. But uh, for, for the time I put in this game, like they, it definitely wasn't like fan service but Koei, Tecmo, and Gus themselves when they market Atalia Rise in that Yeah. They don't do them any favors for for like getting that outside perspective looking in on that perception because it is very marketed towards like a specific target audience, fan service. Yeah, which is a shame because again, it's like perfectly wholesome. Like it's like it's one of those RPGs that you could recommend to almost anyone because it's like it's not really that. <laughs> if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I get you. That's why I was like when you're. When you're explaining a lot of this, like it's like it's like kind of cleaning up the cobwebs. Like, oh yeah, that's right. That's how the the battle system and the item system work in that game. It's like, oh yeah, I remember like uh, parts of that. Yeah, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I'll probably be finished it with it um, this time next week and uh, all that. But yeah, a lot of fun. I can definitely see how this game was the atelier to kind of like break out and be a bit more mainstream, though it's still very niche. Obviously, I mean. For a JRPG, five hundred thousand sales is nothing to to sneeze at or anything. But like it, it's like if anyone wanted to get started with the Atelier franchise and they're not sure if they want to deal with the older ones that have the time limits, I'd say that Rise is definitely a great one to start with. So it'll be interesting to see how well the sequel does because just sequels in general rarely surpass yeah. the original for for various reasons. There's going to be people who tried out Rise either didn't finish it or maybe decided they didn't like it they they it was a good jumping on point so it'll be interesting to see how well the sequel does i think that's why we've been seeing a reprint for the first game on switch recently is because koei tecmo knows that they can kind of um take advantage of the fact the sequel's coming out and people might be interested in that one be like okay let's try and sell as many copies of the first one as we can so we can hopefully have more people interested in the sequel when it releases early next year, which is a perfectly valid tactic. Nothing wrong with yeah. that, but so. I just wish there was a larger reprint so I didn't have to, <laughs> like, 
Like, I swear, every time Mario 64 posts about it, like, he's posted about it, like, five or six times, and every single time it sells out within, like, a minute or two minutes. So by the time I see that he's the tweeted power about it, it's like... Verified. It's yeah. just like, <laughs> God, God. Still want to get a Switch copy now. It's like one of those things where it's like, damn it, now I actually like it enough that I want a physical copy, and it's like 60 bucks more. Damn it. <laughs> But oh well, I'm excited to see what the um, sequel can do, because there's definitely some things that can be ironed out. Like, I know that previous games, like, if you went, like, an Eskin Logi, for example, before you enter an area, you can see a preview of what materials you can get from that area. And there's a world, like, there's fast travel in a world map that you can access in Ryza, but you can't see what materials you can get from each area from the world map. So you have to go... Go ahead. Yeah. So, like, basically, you have to go. Um, whenever you have any sort of RPG, I've never played an Atelier game, but like where you want to get some sort of material, whether it's a drop or a collectible, it's nice when the game has some sort of catalog or some sort of codex or something that at least points you in the right direction. Like, where do I get this? It's there. Drop? It's there so. in the sense that if you pause the game and go into like the help guide, you can figure out where each thing can be found, but other games did it in a way that was much easier to grapple with, and clearly it shouldn't be that much difficult. Like, like even just something as simple as having, like, a button you can press when you're, like, looking over, like, a fast travel location, and then it'll just take you to a page that showcases what you can get and and where, and, like, if you've already gathered it, like, what you need to do to gather it, like, which gathering tools, stuff like that. I don't think that's necessarily something that would be too much to ask for in the sequel, and hopefully it is there. Um, but that's, like, my one major complaint. Because everything else, it's, like, it's not an amazing game, but it's definitely, like, the combat's already good. I don't think it needs that many changes, even if it's not super deep. The alchemy system is already pretty pretty good. The world variety is already nice, even though it's not a huge world. The story isn't amazing, but that's not really what the Atelier series is all about. And it's still perfectly serviceable, and it does its job in keeping you invested. It's like, it's just JRPG comfort food, really. It's and it's Call of Duty, dude. It's, there's a, it's an annual release over there. It, it, like, it's getting Ryza 2 this year. I think it'll be the only Atelier release of this year in Japan. Unlike last year, there's like three brand new Atelier games last year. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I will say this about Ryza, is that even though I wasn't exactly feeling um, Eskin Logi too much, uh, it's one of those things where, like, rising tides raise all ships, where it's like, I'm excited to get back to Eskin Logi after I'm done with this, just because um, it, it's getting me more into the mood of playing the series, and it's actually making me interested in going back and playing some of the ones that I haven't played, like maybe get into the Arlen trilogy after I'm done with the Dust trilogy and maybe play Lula. And it's like, which... Um, and, and then you have the Mysterious trilogy that... You I'm not touching Mysterious trilogy. Why not? You still have Atelier or Iris games. Well, it's just like, I've heard good things about the Arlen trilogy, or I guess trilogy now at this point because of Lula, but it's... um. You don't really hear much about the Mysterious Trilogy, for better or worse. Like, the Dust Trilogy, people say it's worth playing. 
And yeah, uh, anyone who's not familiar with Atelier trying to follow this conversation is like, what are they talking about? <laughs> well, that's how it is, Atelier games. I mean, if you're plus, I can play the Arland. Well, the first three Arland games on my Vita, which is a which is a big plus. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, um, and I'm enjoying it. I'm definitely excited to get through the rest. And uh, yeah, it'll it'll be nice to play through Ryza too, um, and and whatnot. But uh, probably won't be talking too much about Atelier next week, even though I will play them, because I'm excited to get to uh, Labyrinth of Galleria next week. So that's going to be fun. But, Labyrinth yeah. of Galleria is the follow-up to Labyrinth of the Refrain, and it's coming out in Japan this week. So James is out. Or yeah, it has come yeah. out. Yep. So time for me yep. to uh, spoil the soup and poison the well and talk about what I've been playing this last couple of days. Uh, Fallout 76, again. Sorry, guys. I'll, I'll keep this short. Um, I actually, I, I want to hear about this. This is still dull. First of all, this is the most... I, I mean this semi-endearingly, but this is the most Bethesda thing ever, where they accidentally, on the Xbox version of, the, of Fallout 76, so Steel Dawn, which is their next follow-up like content release, was supposed to release in early December. But somehow, like, they accidentally released the information that, like, the, the download for Xbox players early. And then they just kind of decided, well, okay, we're releasing it now, <laughs> which is the most, I don't know. Like, it, it's it's nice that it was in a place where they could just do that. But, like, man. Fuck it. We're doing it live. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I don't, I, I won't, I won't dwell on this too much because I know the number of people interested is very little. But, um, when I played through this, it's based unlike Wastelanders, which was kind of like a paradigm shift for the game. And they, they so Wastelanders, I felt was deserving of a rescore, which I, um, wasn't much higher than the original game, in my opinion. But it was kind of a paradigm shift for the game because they're like re restructuring themselves away from what their original launch intentions were based on yeah, negative like, feedback. And then Steel Dawn really isn't... Steel Dawn feels a lot more vanilla. It's just basically a new series of single-player quest lines and a few other things. Like, now, um, instead of being... Before, you could only build your camp, like your, your, your area that you build up your, your, your buildings and your crafting stations and your decorations. Now everyone can get their own instance version of it so they can have a higher build limit and the server doesn't need to remember everything on a, on a local global map. Um, but my main takeaway for this, and Adam maybe can Adam watch me a, a little bit of it because I was streaming it in the staff Discord, is that playing through this single player basically update to Fallout 76 just makes me wish there was another traditional single player, third person or isometric, either one, Fallout game. Because what it really feels like when I played through Steel Dawn was that they're really trying to peel away from what they originally envisioned for Fallout 76. It's a single player story, really. It's about like eight quests. It introduces a bunch of cool NPCs and some legitimately well-written stuff, but it's all like faceted in a way where it's inserted into this online semi-survival co-op game where it, is, it no longer seems congruent. And like this, it, it almost feels like it's Fallout 76 trying to emulate Fallout 4 or 3 or whatever. And just like, man, I just... Can we just have another Fallout game? That's not this okay, one. Genuinely, I'm genuinely earnest when I ask this, but like, what's the player base of this game like today? But like, does it actually like feel like it's still active or like? It, it, 
I'm always surprised at how much of a following Fallout has in terms like Fallout 4 sold like 10 million or something like that, or maybe more. And then Fallout 76, long story short, the, the Reddit's active, the game's active, there's tons of players. And I know okay. there's some, there some people who have really, they've got their like clans or guilds or whatever you want to call them, and they play it multiplayer and they really enjoy it. And I don't want to say like you're wrong for enjoying it that way, but it just feels like that this update, unlike Wastelanders, which introduced a bunch of like, multiplayer or daily or like aspects of the game that are more designed to be like naturally inherent to an online service game where this just kind of feels like here's a single player story that we're putting in there that you don't have to if you don't want to you don't have to play with anyone else and you don't even need to pretend you're online do you so brian i was watching you stream this i was watching you stream this quest line and it actually kind of dawns me now that you're mentioning it like you just played this quest line by yourself with no other players, like I almost forgot. Like, oh yeah, this is an online game. And that's could that's you exactly have done it. that quest? Could you have done that quest line with like a friend? Like you go, you both play it at the same time. You could, could you have? have. I don't know exactly how progression works. Like, if both players are on the same story step and they play it together, do they both get credit? I'm not actually certain. But um, it's it feels like it's designed as a single player aspect first and a multiplayer aspect later. Um. Which isn't inherently bad because, like, for instance, I play games like Guild Wars or Fantasy Star, which you play the story stuff largely single player there, too. And I and I guess Final Fantasy XIV, one of the selling points to it is that you can play the large plurality of that game single player. So that in itself is not like a damning thing. And I want to be one clear one thing. I thought that some of the characters they added in this update were legitimately well written. And Bethesda took a few leaps that I they could easily get flack for. For instance... When I reviewed Wastelanders, I mentioned in my review for it that the Raider faction had a bunch of interesting like um, characters and a bunch of interesting storylines and a bunch of different type like good voice acting, good. But it just it was good. Like there was stuff about it that rivaled stuff with you know your, whatever Fallout game is your favorite or least disliked, I guess. Um, and then this 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 Steel Dawn update follows up on that. For instance, you meet very briefly with another group of raiders. I don't know why all the raider ones have the most interesting stories. Probably because they're the most like morally gray. They're not always goody two shoes, or they're not like so religious, like the Brotherhood of Steel is. But you meet these three people named Pierce, Sheena, and Burke, and you learn that Burke is non-binary, which normally would be a footnote but the fact that they are so forthright about it and pierce actually has a line of dialogue where he says that he decided to refer to burke as a they because it makes them happier and it's the insignificant price of a word of a pronoun and some people are going to say like oh that's that's just woke pandering or whatever but i just thought that like man like that actually made that remember memorable to me that these people are like so close-knit and if you go to burke and if your character is like an asshole to him sheena the other character will jump in and say like don't talk to him like that fuck off and just like man like, i'm actually like really enjoying that just the fact that it feels real it feels like these people have banded together in this obviously a waste and you know post-apocalyptic wasteland and it feels good but then you just remember you're playing fallout 76 and you're like <laughs> oh man <laughs> Basically, I, I was I was asking this earlier, but uh, like, is the Steel Dawn thing paid or is it just a free content? Of it's free, and okay. it's supposedly also here's a good thing to point out is that it it kind of ends not quite on a cliffhanger, but it kind of ends like halfway through because they're going to have a, a follow up to it called Fractured Steel at some point next year, 
And without going into too many details, basically you have two factions within the Brotherhood, one that is very you know, adherent to the principles of their their beliefs, which is that they are the shepherds of technology and only they can know what is the correct way to distribute the knowledge of knowing how to use the pre-war um, weaponry and missiles and tech. And other ones are, and then there's another faction, which is more, we can bend the rules as long as more people benefit, like more, a little bit more of an altruistic standpoint. And the okay. game is actually not, I know some people kind of say like, Bethesda just has a hard on for the Brotherhood of Steel. They put them in everything. But to be honest, Interplay kind of also, you know, put their fingers in that pie as well because they had like a bunch of standalone Brotherhood of Steel offshoots on their own play, you know, before the Bethesda acquisition. Um, and the game is not, even though in order to do this quest line, you have to join the Brotherhood of Steel, the game doesn't immediately have to tell the player that you should or should not believe in their, like, have your goals aligned with theirs. So I think that's, that was a really good way to frame to frame kind of what the story in that sense. But I just I look at this and I'm just like, man, I want since playing Wastelanders, I play the original two Fallout games, and I've also played three New Vegas and four. And I'm just kind of like, man, I wish I wish there was another one in the pipeline. But unfortunately, you also just seeming Wasteland. Yeah, I also played Wasteland, which is from some of the original developers. I played Wasteland three specifically which has some fallout DNA in it. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. there's, so there is potential in this series. I know some people like to like, they, they look at, Oh, Bethesda and a shitty engine. And that's the furthest they ever think about it. And they don't, they don't give it the time of day after that point. But I'm just like, all right, all of these, pretty much all of the ancestry of this series is now under the Microsoft banner. Now, whether it's Bethesda game studios in exiles, you know, uh, Brian Fargo and their studio heads, or Obsidian in the time that they got to, you know, play with the series with New Vegas. It's all under one umbrella now. So I would be so stoked if some, whether it's isometric, whether it's third person, whether it's even a cooperative, like online game in some respect, I would love to see the series peel away from Fallout 76. Not because Fallout 76 is irredeemable, but I just feel like it's, I think it would be better suited as a complimentary thing rather than this is what you get for right now. Like this, this is all I you got. I wonder if what your feeling is what Elder Scrolls fans have felt since like Skyrim and now they've been using Elder Scrolls Online as a vehicle for like Elder Scrolls stories for now until whenever Elder Scrolls Six comes out. Now, now there, now now Fallout fans are in a weird similar period where there's nothing really in the pipeline for Fallout right now because Fallout seventy six is now their like vehicle for for dishing out Fallout content until the next quote unquote proper mainline one like. Well, at least, at least for Elder Scrolls, even though it might be years and years and years away, it's confirmed. Like it's yeah. you know that something's on the horizon, yeah, even if I'm even if it's on before that, but before it was confirmed for anything, like well, I, I also has had I like also, if they're not playing the the online MMO. I also feel like Elder Scrolls Online is two things. It seems just I haven't played it. I've kind of always wanted to, but. I doubt I ever will, just because it's just too big of an ask in terms of hours and time. Um, but it just feels generally more well received than Fallout seventy six. But it did it and didn't start like that though. That's true. It also just feels like it's more naturally like a, a high fantasy RPG like Elder Scrolls in that setting. 
is more naturally in line with what an MMO typically is structured around compared to Fallout, where it feels kind of like shoehorned in. Here's one other thing that I want to mention, and this is kind of a footnote, but I think it is indicative of kind of the identity crisis in this sense. So as part of the Steel Dawn update, Fallout 76 has hunger and thirst mechanics, right? So it's kind of semi-survival game, which that isn't completely out of left field because like Fallout New Vegas does have, I forget if it's an official mod or an unofficial one, but it has like a hardcore mode where you have to like also keep up on thirst and things like that. But it's not part of the vanilla experience. But then Steel Dawn, what they did was now there are no penalties to not eating or drinking in Fallout 76. They basically made it so that that whole aspect of the game, that survival aspect is optional. And it just kind of feels yeah. like it's just another route to make the survival, like their original in, in envisioning of this game, less and less relevant. Where now it's just like this online RPG with multiplayer aspects that you can ignore. It has it has almost no remaining necessary survival aspects anymore. They've kind of so basically, so basically, the game original vision was to make it a slightly different style of Fallout game, but it feels like it's just inching closer and closer to just. Fallout for three or four. Yeah, because remember, originally it had no NPCs, and that was obviously a uh, seems like a universally reviled idea, just because all of their stories had to be baked into like this hollow yeah, yeah, yeah. tape corpse based quest lining, where you're just like repacing the footsteps of those that came before you, and then obviously have these survival aspects. Um, but now they've decided just to give it traditional quests, single player stories. They've they've kind of filtered out survival aspects. So now it just kind of feels like an, a Fallout game that happens to be online. And Steel Dawn's story, I liked. It was short and it was brief and it was not... It was kind of like vanilla in terms of it didn't do anything too surprising, but it was well put together, had good voice acting, had some good, some good quests, and it was fine. But I just feel like now it, it just feels like it doesn't belong in an online game anymore. It's very weird. Have you ever, like, mm-hmm. how often do you or people, like, let's team up in Fallout 76 and do a quest or a boss or something? Like, does that happen? Um, it happens with endgame type stuff like the Silo Runs or the Scorch Beast Queen or a new event that they added where you fight this giant, I forget what they call it. It's like this giant colossus that you fight in a mine. So there's like these endgame raid type things that are multiplayer and those are somewhat fun. They're like, I'm not going to say they're absolutely valueless, but it just kind of feels like you play through hours of and hours of story that you can play single player. And then if you want to, if you want to get more gear or recipes or plans, you can opt into doing these like raid type things. But it just feels like a very small component of the game. There's certain, I know there's a, a good population of people that just kind of like log off and they'll wait for the next story update. And I kind of feel like there's a framework here where if, this is this is very, very hypothetical. But if they had a Fallout 5 that they, instead of doing like package DLCs that they did for like three New Vegas and four, they just continuously updated it and they had some sort of like online capability where you could play in co-op or something. I think that will be better than having this online persistent world that they're like trying to like give you this single through line of a story that you can play through and then ignore everything else. It's, I guess I was Wastelanders was a big paradigm shift for the game, and Steel Dawn just kind of feels very vanilla. It's good vanilla. It's like it, it doesn't do anything egregiously wrong, but it just feels kind of bland and forgetful. So 
That is my Fallout 76 check-in. You're saying they should add Bolivian gates to Fallout 76. I don't know what that is. I'm missing context here. Oh, you never played Elder Scrolls uh, Oblivion? No, I've only played Skyrim. I'm Uh, sorry. Okay. But it's not terrible. I do think that Fallout 76 is still in a better place now than it was, but like I've never really had the incentive to really team up to do the daily quests with other players. I just kind of check in and keep up with today on the story. I guess I'm a boil frog. He's one of our favorite idioms. But it's it's fine. I just playing through this game makes me wish that there was something else Fallout in the pipeline. That's pretty much my my takeaway. Hmm. Okay. And with that, I think we've all talked about what we've, what we've been playing. Uh, I don't know if Adam had any other things to chime in, or if you're waiting until next week. Um, I don't know if I can talk about what I'm playing or not yet. So let's just wait. Alrighty. Relatable. Good discussion on PlayStation Five. On Devil May Cry, on Atelier. Hey, we're not going to talk about um, how uh, uh, Adam has uh, 100% cleared uh, Neo 1. Oh, yeah. So Adam originally talked about Neo 1 a few days. So I played Neo 2 about a month and a half ago. Then Adam decided to play Neo 1 about a month ago. And he got the, uh, not the Platinum, but the Steam All Achievements badge, which requires playing through like New Game Plus 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 or something like that. Adam, how was your time? So I, I, had, I had to get into the fourth playthrough. So what is that? New game plus, plus, plus. I didn't have to beat it, but I had to get to the fourth playthrough. There is a fifth playthrough as well. But I sort, of tricked, I sort of tricked myself because I saw that's like... So I'm I'm always been sort of a completionist with games, but I do have a limit. But I saw that this, the PlayStation version of Neo has a trophy for like beating all the missions on new game plus, plus. And I saw that the Steam version didn't have that trophy. I'm like, oh, so this should be doable, right? But the, the but then there was a trophy for um, beating the first twenty levels of a of a place called the Abyss. And without context, that just seemed sort of doable. Like, oh, I can do that, right? That's probably not too bad. But what what skill and like level of equipment and stats that requires are actually basically new game plus plus plus. So I kind of got to that point anyway. But yeah, basic. I've talked about Neo like the last three podcasts. I think it's just a really good mix of action RP, or action kind of based skill based gameplay, and then like the RPG stats and levels and equipment sort of gameplay. It's, it's a good mix of those two things. Um, so I'm excited to try that or try Neo Two when that releases for PC next year. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, so on to the topical section of the podcast. Uh, we have we got a surprise announcement just earlier today, and we got another few highlights from I think yesterday. So not a lot of topics, but a few a few heavy hitters here. So let's open yeah, up. One, some... Step back one second. Just one but, quick article shout out. Josh put up his written formal Demon Souls review. He talked about uh, it last right. week on the podcast. He put it up last week. Basically, yeah. kind of the same criticisms. Like you, you really don't like some of the new music. Man, I can't trust that enough. Like that, that it's a weird thing to write a review. It's like at my biggest beef about it. Again, it's like man, those boss music. Uh, I'll live. I know. I know. It's a it's a very subjective thing. Like I, I still gave it a high score because I really I really enjoyed my time with it. But you know, I just felt it was important that we should probably cover like you know the big RPG release of next gen. Yeah, yeah it is the next gen game, and it is an RPG. So. We, we we needed to cover it, so I'm glad you did. And that'll yeah. probably be a very big aspect of our Game of the Year deliberations in terms of 
should it place, where, where it should place, place? What, what, what bucket do we throw it in? Yeah. <laughs> and we, ha we have not decided. We will have to decide in the moment there. I, I think I think almost maybe all the images in that review were like the in-game like photo mode and then the plus the PS5 screenshot capture because I don't formally have like a 4K display. So I was like, I should try to at least put 4K images up for, for, for that review because that's like the big highlight of the game. <laughs> Can't take images of 60 FPS modes. You might as well get the 4K. Sure. It's true. It's 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 been proven that the human eye can't perceive up to the beyond 18 FPS. So yeah. And for 4K, you have to be sitting like eight miles away in order to tell difference. Eight miles away. <laughs> so announced, I think last Monday. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we have an update, or we we got an, an announcement of a countdown that was themed around the world ends with you, which is, this is not the first time that this has happened. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what the world ends with you fans love, seeing a countdown again for the world, world ends with you. So I forget the specific details, but last year, maybe it was earlier this year because time is weird in 2020, but we had a countdown that le led to the announcement of the anime adaptation of the world ends with you, oh, which is oh, cool oh, enough, but... Yeah, let, let, let's uh, let, to go back uh, to contextualize like, a history of the world ends video countdowns. There's one like that was for the solo remix for that was like on mobile, and that was like the first yeah. big indication. Like, oh, countdown timers are stupid for sites. I could have told you that, but and then there was like one for like I don't know what else, but but it, it's it's been like kind of re-releases of the same like base game. Like they had one for no the. First, the Switch for Final Remix wasn't a countdown. It was like a no. Game. That Switch version just kind of randomly showed up in a Nintendo yeah. Direct. It was kind of yeah. wasn't one, like, oh, wasn't one of them a soundtrack or something like that? Maybe something <laughs> like. That. Yeah. Anyways, we had another countdown for the World Ends with You, and everyone had tempered expectations, but it turns out they actually did announce a follow-up slash sequel. So Neo: The World Ends with You launches for PlayStation Four and Switch next summer. Sorry, so it exists. Say that again. Starring Keanu Reeves, Neo, the world ends with you. Oh, yes. I've never seen the Matrix. Not Neo, the Chloe Tecmo game. <laughs> no, but so, yeah. Go, go on. Finish your thoughts. I was, so I'm basically, I'm going to say so the world ends with you. Fan favorite, you know, cult darling. Got a remaster with like a tease or a sequel. Now it has a sequel. It's highly, highly influenced by Persona 5. Yes. Stop. I cannot believe that was Twitter <laughs> trend that day. So there, on the day this was announced, there, uh, Persona 5 was trending because so many people were like, oh, it just like looks like budget Persona 5 because the, apparently 98% of the internet has only played Persona 5 as their only JRPG, not realizing that, you know, World Ends With You came out way that. Uh, so what's actually, what's actually I find a little bit amusing, I remember when The World Ends With You first came out in 2007, this game is old now, um, older than people me. actually started oh, yeah, to... say it was George Ford yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Anyways, I remember, I remember that was a lot of people's, like, who maybe weren't, like, super into anime or whatever at the time, like, introduction to Shibuya as a place, which is a real place. And it's but it's yeah. got some iconic imagery, the buildings and that square, um, and so like people, game. well, people sort of I, I think at the time kind of tied Shibuya to the World's End with you because it was like uh, a you know a game that one probably one of the first games that like highly basically was set in that region in that city, um, 
but now it feels like more modern fans like they tie Shibuya to Persona 5 because that's also a pretty key area in that game. So they see this game set in Shibuya and they're like, Persona 5? Like, no, it's not. It's, it's a, a real place place. that exists. <laughs> <Where to God. laughs> uh, not, 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 Persona 5 fans play another JRPG challenge. Persona 5 didn't invent Japan, we swear. I swear. Anyway, so, um, I guess my first comment is, is so when they released the Switch version of The World Ends With You, which the DS version is the best version of that game mechanically in terms of gameplay, it is quite different in terms of how it plays. It really is. Um, there's no getting around it. Um, but they added... Some context I feel is necessary is that the original game was inherently built yeah. around the dual screen design, which the iOS yeah, and yeah. The Switch version had... Wait, what? Because because the the it was built for the DS because of the way like battles worked in that game. You basically took control of two battles simultaneously in battle on the original DS version, where one character would be on the bottom screen, controlled by the buttons, I believe, on the right side, and then the top character would be controlled by the the D pad on the DS, if I remember correctly. Correct. I'm trying so to remember that again. The bottom character on the DS version would be controlled by the buttons on the right side, while the top character would be at the top screen of the DS, controlled by the D-pad. I think, I think it was stylus on the bottom, D-pad for the top. Okay. Um, That's okay. Something like that. Yeah, I was yeah, getting um, to it, but I was going to say that basically the iOS and Switch version had to like work around that. Obviously yeah, I, 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 I think the Switch version, I played the Switch version, it was, it was fine as like, like a, a refresher on like, okay, here's what happened in the game. I'm just kind of revisiting it. And it's it's okay, but I just don't think it's the best. But anyways, in that version, they added um, like an ending that was basically a sequel tease. Um, even like it was like more of a tease than they've ever had before. Like there's actually you know loose plot threads now that haven't been resolved. So I felt like at that time they probably had at least initial plans for a sequel in motion. So it's not like this announcement came out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, but now we actually do have a sequel. It sort of teases a few things that were in that and in that sequel teaser. We have a new character. His name is Rindo. Rindo. And Rindo um, tells you to wear a mask. Yeah. <laughs> but he, there's like a new cast of characters, and the game is now 3D. So that's like a big difference, um, of course. Not all of them are new, but there is a, there's like a returning, returning character from the. Uh, yeah. Show, <laughs> yeah, show basically. Math that, guy, mm -hmm. you remember geometry character? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this, this is a <laughs> weird. This is a weird one because the the message from Namora Tatsuya Namora. Uh, this is tech. This uh, Neo, the old world ends with you, is technically a follow up to the upcoming anime that's airing in April. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine if you just play Final Remix, but I, I think at the base minimum, if you wanna understand the plot i think this will be a follow-up to either either you've watched the anime coming or played for the final remix on switch because as adam said earlier like there are already uh final remix exclusive content like characters and stuff from from final remix inside that debut trailer for neo i have mm -hmm. to say i uh it's as like probably the the biggest Kingdom Hearts fan on the side. I was going to actually say, I bet you, sorry to interrupt you, but like, how, what are the chances that George somehow brings in Dream Drop Distance? That was his first, that was his worst, that was his first The World Ends With You. That was how he that, was introduced to it. 
Yeah, that literally is how I was introduced to it. That wasn't what I was going to say. It was going like, <laughs> to say, um, you'd be surprised that as like a big, well, generally as a big Nomura fan, because I like to remake, I, I like pretty much everything he does. Uh, I actually hadn't played The World Ends of You until a couple of days. I, I finished it two days before this announcement. Uh, and I've only ever played the Switch version, and I've, I've owned it for two years. And mm-hmm. I found out it was like, yeah, you can only really play this on the touchscreen. Like, you don't even need the Joy-Cons attached. It's basically a tablet game. I was like, yeah. I don't have. To, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to sit. I don't want to like sit on my bed and play a tablet game. Like, no game's worth that. And then I did eventually end up doing Quite that games. because the word ends with you. Uh, I figured they're probably going to announce a sequel. Like, let's hope. So it would be cool to be caught up on it. And I ended up really enjoying it. Uh, I love the characters. I even enjoyed the gameplay even though it was like, you can tell just from what I've heard you guys say, this is not like the same thing. Final Remix, like it cannot do what the phone, that the DS version did. Like it, it just mm-hmm. can't do it. Like it's a completely different sort of style. So I went and watched some videos of it and like it just, it just seems like, like a baby's first, like well, baby's first world ends with you. Like it just doesn't compare to the original. So I'm kind of annoyed that I don't, like have the DS version to play or like I wish they'd done something different with the Switch version like maybe just make it a better controlled uh... I think it's, it's definitely it's it's hard uh, to do that because like when you're trying to like remake or re-release the world ends with you like there's no like easy answer if you if you just don't have a DS period you're yeah. either like like Final Mix like tried to emulate it and it came off janky I just wish they were just like Honestly, no. like discarded the 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 notion of trying to emulate the DS experience entirely from that because it it was it worked to that game's detriment. I think. Yeah, I personally, having seen what they've done with this, I would love it if they did. It's not even a remake. I guess it would just be a remake, but do it like in a three D gameplay style, like they're doing with Neo, but for the story of the first one. Like I, I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, I think more. I think uh, they first. You don't know if this battle system's any good in Neo. Yeah. So for a split second, you said Neo, and I'm like, wait, what game are we talking about? Oh, right, Neo. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. Neo. Neo is a short. Okay. Anyway, um, so let's let's say some of the obvious. So the world ends with you has a really great aesthetic and style to it. Um, it's pretty. I, I find it weird that people compared it to Persona because I think the world ends with you. It's it, it's it's almost emblematic of its own style. I think that isn't really quite like much else i don't think very into fashion without the world ends with you like there are definitely influences but i don't think persona 5 gets there without the world ends with you first yeah it's got a really great style it's got a really great soundtrack with a lot of vocals like hip-hop and rap sort of sort of stuff but i also think the world ends with you one reason why i think it resonated so well is it has like a really clear and obvious theme that that comes through Mm -hmm. uh, that yeah. Partway through the game, and it, it there's a reason why the game is called The World Ends With You. Like, there is meaning behind that. Um, and it does some really neat things with that. And I think Neku, as a character, and how he grows from beginning to end is honestly one of, like, the I think one of the most believable and best-developed protagonists in this genre, I think. He's really well done, and a lot of the characters around him, too. So like that part, I think is 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 really nice. And honestly, I would I think the world ends with you didn't really need a sequel, but it's getting. I, yeah, the take I saw that I agree with the most is that the world ends with you was the perfect game to play when you're an angsty teen. And I hope that 
another generation of angsty teens like gets a similar feeling from playing Neo because it, yeah, basically. I, I really, so I really so we gotta find that. someone younger than George. It <laughs> <laughs> can't be done. Uh, I really hope the anime adaptation really uh, nails that aspect of uh, just uh, having Neku's development carry through along with the side characters. I, I hope that you know more people get into the series that uh, with the anime adaptation, and hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully the sequel turns out well too. It's a, so what um, you were teasing probably... at before the gameplay is very different, and that's probably the one part about this new trailer that I'm the least sold on. It looks more rote in a way. It's like 3D action RPG. You can tell from the trailer there's some like combination sort of stuff you can do with your with your attacks compared and your your allies' attacks. But it's hard to glean much from a trailer. But it looks to me it looked a little bit slow, and I'm not exactly sure how I feel you, about it. You don't know too much about it yet. That's the yeah. thing. Like they showed footage of the battles. So you don't actually know how it plays yet. That right. All we can like it's like an overhead view of like a 3D battle arena, as you said. But that, that's all we can really glean from it. We don't know exact mechanics. Uh, worth mentioning that uh, this is coming to PS4 and Switch uh, next summer, both for uh, Japan and the West. So this is very likely a worldwide simultaneous release with both having a similar release window. The only mm-hmm. footnote is that even though the trailer was shared on Square Enix's English YouTube channel, it's still the Japanese voiceover. And Japanese voice cast, at least a good chunk of it, has been announced. Uh, so no no details on on Anne or the English voice cast yet. I yeah. wonder if we'll just use the Kingdom Hearts actors. I mean, I thought they were fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but they also but the at least the English trailer already has like at least some of like the English UI over like the voiceover IP the, the in game dialogue yeah. to each other, mm-hmm. retaining that comic panel style of storytelling, which is uh, really cool. Mm-hmm. But, so I uh, should I'm, play. I should I, play. The world ends with you. On Switch, yeah, as, in, as intended. Even even as a fi- even if you do decide to go the final remix route or or watch the anime or whatnot, that I think it's still a fine game. I think the, 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 I think the Switch version is fine as long as you just sort of acknowledge, like you know, going in that all right, this it, this is a little bit sort of adapted. And it's been refashioned not exactly how it was intended, right? Mm-hmm. Another Square Enix property, and this is something that I'll have to rely on James on, sorry, is that we had a live letter and a trailer for the next major update to Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, patch 5.4, named, what, I don't have it in front of me, Uh, Futures Rewritten. So as someone who's an outsider, there's no way I can kind of parse what's meaningful out of this. So James, please, uh, please hold my hand and, t- and tell me what we what's the takeaway from this new news of the next major update for Final Fantasy XIV. Well, like uh, most major number, well, pretty much every major numbered patch, there will be more main scenario quests, like some more story content, which comes with a new dungeon. Um, there's also going to be an update for the Sorrows of Gurlit. Um trial series, and the Emerald Weapon trial will be added to the game along with its Extreme Variant. Also, as usual, with the point .4 updates, um, the final raid tier for this um, expansion will be released. Um, uh, so, yeah. Uh, we don't know too much about what's going to be in the raid tier. We just have know what who we're fighting for the first fight in the tier, which is... Um, 
the uh, Cloud of Darkness, which is funny because it was also like the final boss of uh, the Crystal Tower, like Alliance Raid series back in Realm Reborn. So it's going to be interesting to see how different this fight is. Um, and uh, we do know that the final fight for this raid tier will be designed by Nomura, and we don't know what it is, and we've been told that it's not something that they've seen anyone guess, so who knows. Um, <laughs> also, the other major change is that Monk, the job class, has gotten a rework. I've never played Monk, so I can't speak too much to it. Though it seems like their main mechanic, Reese Lightning, has been changed up, so it no longer buffs your um, your attack. So besides the skills themselves being changed, um, the potency for many of it of the job's actions have been changed to accommodate the fact there's no longer a buff from Reese Lightning. So th along this, with some other changes. You're going to have to laugh at me here. Uh... Because this is going to be like the most dumb shit question possible. Is Monk a DPS class or a healer class in this game? It's a DPS class. All right. Hey, man, that's a good question. Sometimes it's a healer, yeah. Yeah. Is it more like the fists? Martial artist, yeah. Yeah, that Monk, not a Healy Monk. All right. Yeah. And they also but, announced, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this was in the same announcement or just parallel to it, but early next year on, let's see, February 5th, or six, depending on your time zone. Uh, they're going to have an announcement showcase. I think all but confirmed to be details on the next expansion. Oh yeah, totally. I am really interested to see what the next expansion is going to be because it's it's funny because it was the same thing when Shadowbringers, like before Shadowbringers got announced. Everyone thought that the expansion, like 5.0, was going to be Garlemald, which is the like the evil empire, and like. People thought that since there was even more of a focus on Garlemald in, um, like, the uh, patch quests and whatnot in Shadowbringers, that surely we're finally going to go there. But now it's, like, I don't know where it was confirmed, but apparently 6.0 is not going to be Garlemald. And, in fact, the Garlemald storyline and all that is going to be finished up in Shadowbringers post-patches. It, it, it's weird. So... I'm curious what it's going to be. Uh, people have been throwing around that it might be Charlion, which is another country that has been like name-dropped before. And more specifically, these two major characters in the game's world, um, Alize and Alphanel, their father is a major character in Charlion. And there was an official character model for him, but he has never been seen in-game. So maybe we're finally going there. Who knows? But nope. Like, Shadowbringers area was kind of taken out of left field. Um, um, so it's going to be interesting to see um, what sort of hints we get to where we're going to be showing up in 6.0 with 5.4 and 5.5. Are we expecting an, uh, ex a new expansion announcement next year? Yes. Okay. Yes. What's it going to be called? We, we might... Uh, I was yeah, gonna, I was just gonna say we might get also uh, or maybe I'll ask you that as a question instead of a statement. Uh, is this where we would also expect to see um, PlayStation Five specific features, updates, things like that? Imagine what will happen is, is that we'll get an announcement trailer for six and that'll also be probably when they add support for Xbox because it's been announced that it's coming to Xbox, but 
it's like a soft announcement though like they made it there, there's only actually like it was it like confirmed like for sure no it was confirmed it was confirmed for sure they said oh. that it's coming to xbox they just didn't give any details beyond that it was a it's coming eventually we just don't know when so i'm assuming that with the release of 6.0 that would be the best opportunity to release it if they're probably already going to be doing extra work for like playstation 5 patches and stuff like that so my best guess is that we'll get the final the actual confirmation that's coming for text box along with the expansion announcement i wonder if they'll do any sort of well Maybe I'm jumping the gun because I'm, I'm remembering back when a few years into the PlayStation 4's lifestyle, they had to basically cut off PlayStation 3. And now I'm just kind of wondering, I wonder when they'll cut off PlayStation 4. Probably not within the next couple of years, but yeah, be coming at some point. All right, so we'll look forward to hearing uh, James's... When does, when does Hooters Rewritten come out? December uh, 8th. So it'll be interesting to hear your uh, feedback and takeaway from that. Yep. Here's another major uh, Square Enix. Square Enix is dominating the, the discussion today. That was just announced earlier this morning. Huh? Sponsoring the podcast, apparently. Oh, I wish. <laughs> uh, we have an, we have a surprise announcement for a remaster for Saga Frontier coming PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, PC, and mobile devices next summer. So yep. same same ter- same time period as Neo. The ones yeah, that ends with one, you. This one's kind of crazy. This is a uh, PS1 RPG released back, I want to say around 97, 98. Because I, I know it came. Uh, 97 in Japan, 98 West. Okay, yeah. Because I know okay, it, it, came, yes. it came around when I, when I uh, immigrated from the Philippines to America. That's I remember it. But uh, this was one of the wildest PS1 RPGs from what I remember. It was very, very not. Uh, this was like there. There was like seven main characters, and they were all from different like regions. They were like in like I think it was actually just called known as the regions, which was like a, a group of planets. And like they like each one of them had like their own sort of culture, different like technological like progression and whatnot. And each of the characters like had their own main quest, but the way they can Go about it is kind of up to you. They can. Yeah, it's some... super non-linear. Supposedly, I yeah. haven't played. Yeah, like they can go like to uh, other regions, other different planets. Uh, some some might like crisscross like another character's story or like pass by them. Some may may never even meet. It's very crazy. Like it was very unclear uh, where to actually like go from what I remember. But that that kind of added to the charm of it because it's kind of do what you will type of deal and the whole um the interesting thing about this remastered version is they're adding in cut content from the ps1 uh original release so uh the highlight being an eighth character named fuse i don't know if this person's completely cut or cut with new ideas or completely new so fuse fuse was a playable character in the original release so he's still like he's not an entirely brand new character but what's new about it is he'll have his own route Ah. and that yeah so and that's that's interesting. He's like a like a like a police agent type of deal, and whatnot. I can't remember. I don't remember too much about what he's done because it's been forever since I played Saga Frontier. But I remember he, that he was playable in the original release. And this is 
this is really exciting stuff like to try seeing like uncovering like what were their original ideas i think there's like one more character they wanted to be uh have their uh, as their own route but i don't think that made it in so as as for now only fuse is like the new big big change in this remastered version so i guess it's not like it's not really uh it's like a remaster plus new content now all the different all the different ways you can categorize remastered we can get you know tongue-tied yeah. going over that so i've the only saga game that i played is starlight grace and i know that um james has also played starlight grace i think adam has played the most saga titles here so saga expert i don't know well, i don't know if expert's the right word but what is your takeaway from seeing about a remaster for saga frontier coming next year I know that this game, like in terms of its release in the US, it came out like five or six months after Final Fantasy VII. So Oof. people <laughs> bought and played Final Fantasy VII and loved it. And then they're like, oh, Square Enix, that same company, is making another RPG for PS4 well, Saga Frontier. Yeah, Squaresoft. But it was completely different. So the, I know the response at the time was like, mixed let's just say that because people were expecting another final fantasy 7 and it was this completely different weird thing instead um so that's fun like just the context of when it released uh i know when octopath traveler was first being revealed people were comparing it to this because of like the multiple story multiple character aspect although the implementation of that seems pretty different i've never played saga frontier it's Um, more of the live a live but it it is it does have roots as saga frontier as well Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm I I pretty much have loved every Saga game I've played to various degrees. I've never played Saga Frontier. I actually did buy a copy of it and I actually got it signed by Kawazu, nice. uh, the brand, the, basically the series boss. And I just haven't gotten around to playing it. And like, I guess I'll just wait for the remaster if they're going to basically be adding content. And to to be clear, it seems like there was other stuff in the game that was just clearly not finished. So it's not quite like they're adding content just to add content, just you know, because why not? It's like they actually, it's it. At least my my inkling is that it's they're actually trying to complete what should ha- what they were sort of hoping to be there initially. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's also worthy of note, like that. Besides fuse, there are other like like events, missing events that they wanted for original release, but just because of the the, the circumstances at the time couldn't be added. Like they're re-implementing those, like in a, a Celis's story. There's some some events that are going to make this release now. Uh, Apparently, one of the characters like ends like at the final boss and doesn't yeah, really have literally. an ending. Yeah, yeah and I, I saw Jason Trier joking about that. There's no indication they're going to change that, but maybe they will. I, I, I hope they. Will. I hope they did. I hope they keep it like that because that's that was like one of the most like memorable aspects of that game. It's like. You just see the the end screen in the middle of the final boss. It's like, wait, what the fuck? It's <laughs> <laughs> really good. I do, I remember that vividly from that game. Uh, it's a very open ended ending. Yeah. So Did I he like even played... win? Well, this is making me want to do right now. But again, I wish we just had like double the hours in each day. Is that I've only ever played through one of the routes of Saga Scarlet Grace, and I'm kind of like, man, I should go back to that play another route. Or or maybe play or maybe play one of those romancing saga releases from the last couple of years. Or it is kind of interesting that the saga series has gotten a fair amount of attention in recent years. With obviously Saga Scarlet Grace being like a new title, I know it took a while to get localized after being remastered and whatnot. Um, but then there is this Romancing Saga Two remaster. There's a Romancing Saga Three remaster. There's the upcoming selection of saga which is like the original three game boy games coming out on twitch 
Sorry? Um, yeah, look, like Final Fantasy Legend. Yeah, that was back when they recalled them Final Fantasy. Yep. So it's just kind of interesting that this series they're just getting a just a just a decent amount a considerable amount of attention recently. And I'm up for yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean I'll take it. I mean not everything has to have that Final Fantasy VII. Like we we need to make this a giant gigantic thing just to re, re, you know reintroduce it to the world. We can just kind of look at our back catalog yeah. and see how we make it available, how we touch it up. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really hoping. I, I mean it's probably going to happen, but uh, if that they'll get around to Saga Frontier Two. Because uh, Saga Frontier 2 was a really, really good game. I love that game a lot. So ho- hopefully this does well enough to see a remaster or whatever type of treatment they do with Saga Frontier 2. It's a, it's a damn good game. Oh, Also, I forgot to mention, there's a mobile game that's apparently doing decent. <laughs> well, yeah, Romantic Saga Reuniverse. I think James wrote a little bit of it on our, on our site, like his impressions of it. Like it, it does really well in Japan. I don't know how it does in the West, hopefully well enough. but. It, um, a, a friend of mine actually just recently, like literally, let's see, uh, at less than an hour ago, was just doing some research on it. Apparently, Sensor Tower places the English version at doing about three hundred thousand dollars in revenue a month, which is actually quite strong in this field. And he mentions that games with that do about one fifth of that tend tend to stay chugging along indefinitely. So, well, wow. how did um, how did uh, the um, what's it called? The Star Ocean, Star Ocean mobile game do because like it, like what might be good for one developer might be an entirely different thing for like Square. So yeah, that's true. It, it, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's a it's it's tough. Like who knows, you know? I hope it sticks around because like my one like complaint was well, it, it's good, it's fun. If if you like Saga, it's like a good mobile game, but, but they, it's they one of those things that. where it's like, do you want to invest time if for all intents and purposes, it doesn't look. You're not sure if it's going to be sticking around for that long. The inverse so. of that is like the only way mobile games stick around is if people play it and put money into it. You know, like the, the, these things don't stay up for free. Like uh, that, that's kind of a what of Star Ocean. Chicken or egg situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like uh, oddly enough, Star Ocean and then like problem in the in the Western release was that it was, you know, way too generous with like how it handed out. It's like it's gotcha. Free universe is definitely the same way because, like, one of the other things I mentioned was that it's like ten like different promos at once, giving you a ton of different free shit. It's like, why would I spend any money whatsoever? Yeah, so that that's kind of the weird thing is like you want that you want it to stick around, but if they're if you're too generous with that, then there's no there's little like incentive to like spend money on it. Then if the numbers are down, why have it up? Very weird industry. So maybe next year will be another year of saga. Let's just see. A couple of couple cool interesting games slated for next summer. Now as it goes, I'm guessing some of those will be pushed back, but we'll see. A few other smaller news topics that round out the week. Uh Greedfall is getting a surprise, semi-surprise PS5 update with new content. Uh, the 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 most interesting footnote here, because Greedfall was kind of like a surprisingly good game, but kind of self-contained. Is that now? Ever since the release of that game in late 2019, it's now under um, the developer Spiders is now owned by a different publisher, Nason. That's how do you pronounce it, Adam? Nacon. N-A-C- like Nacon. Pronounce N A C O N. So like Bacon. Like imagine a horse convention. It's Nacon. Okay. Nice. So, anyways, Greedfall 
is getting a next-gen update with new content with a few murky details about who is actually developing that because the IP is now owned by Nacon. Well, this is coming to Xbox Series as well, right? Because you only mentioned PS5 earlier. But this oh, yeah, next-gen. Next okay. We're going to see something out of it? But yeah, basically, the developer is Spiders, and they're sort of this French... They were basically indie developer, but they're kind of like... A, you know, growing into like a fully fledged studio now, and then they are acquired by Nacon, who used to be Big Ben, who is also French. But um, the game was published by Focus Home Interactive, who's also French. And th- now that the developer Spiders is under Nacon, it was a little bit confusing about like who owns this. In a press release, they basically said Focus Home Interactive will publish the PS5 and Xbox Series X versions, but the brand now is under Nacon. They never actually mentioned Spiders, the developer specifically, but I assume if they're putting the brand under Nacon, then Spiders is still going to develop it. They just, they just ruined, didn't say that outright. You've completely ruined hearing that name, the the studio name for me now, because every time you make one, I'm surprised that Big Ben was a French company. Why would they name themselves after an English company? Yeah, that was always weird. Like, why is a French company naming themselves after Big Ben? I don't know. Um, But yeah, uh, Greedfall, I think, was a nice game that sort of punched above its weight. Uh, you reviewed it. You liked it similarly. And we'll see if what they add to it. And they're, and so, uh, not Big Ben. Spiders is currently working on their RPG. Steel Rising. Yeah, which is kind of like this near automata meets the French Revolution. Kind of weird yeah. hybrid. So it'll be interesting to see when we hear more about that. Uh, but yeah, okay. Well, we have, like, Shot the Ark? Hmm. Maybe <laughs> that'd be great. So I like I never Greedfall was kind of like a, I enjoyed it for what it was, said and forget sort of thing. I'll have to see what the new content they're talking about is. If it's just like like some add-on trial dungeon like endless thing, or if it, I'm, I'm basically I'm, I'm wondering if it's like going to be some meaningful stuff or it's going to be just more tacked on. Like oh I can forget that sort of stuff. I guess we'll see. They were very vague about it. They just said it is coming to next gen with new content. That's kind of it. It'd be interesting to see like how many other 2018, 2019 games we eventually do see that get those um, next gen updates, and how many of those will be paid, and how many will be free, or and all that stuff. Uh, we got a few more details on Rune Factory Five. So I honestly don't know like the minutia here. Um, Rune Factory Five is set to come out uh, to be determined next year, another summer release likely. Um, so they it's they coming have, out in May in Japan. English release hasn't been dated. So they detailed some of the romance candidates, and again, it seems like it's following that idea where the English localization will call it marriage. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're wrong. No. Uh, thank that you. Marriage- I'm wrong. <laughs> that marriage, that marriage thing with XE, that was with the uh, Story of Seasons remaster, not wow. Rune Factory remaster. I think I remember that. Um, so Rune, I don't think they've said anything about the Rune Factory stuff yet at all in terms of like gender exclusivity or inclusivity of romance. But basically, the point here is is that they just continue. The game is coming out. They've already announced it. We know when to expect it. They're just continuing to to showcase. Here are some of the characters that you can romance. They've introduced, there's like a skill point system or a seed point system, excuse me, um, that helps you in making like items and food to cook and weapons and things like that. So, you know, you can read about it on our site. They just continue to update some of the stuff you can find in the game. 
Speaking of updating stuff that you find in the game, we have a similar sort of update for Disgaea 6, Defiance Destiny. So Yeah, there are there's new monster classes. There's like this anime cow girl thing. And okay. also this this uh anime dude crab thing. Anime dude crab thing class. All right. I, right, I let me read let me let me read <laughs> Kite, let me read Kite's uh translation of the, the crab. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh can we please just call it, it that from now on, though? Like the his name is Pinter Shell. It's like the, here's the translation of this new crab class: a gentleman with a wonderful shell. He overwhelms his <laughs> opponents with his tough shell and power. He boasts an overwhelming <laughs> toughness because his defense increases when he gets hit by an attack. A crab. gentleman, <laughs> crab, or Pinter. He's more like no, I guess he is kind of crab lobster thing. Hey, can you call him a gentleman with a wonderful shell? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I reminds me of um uh, far fetched like. The Pokemon Sword and Shield one that was like the knight with the leak. Yeah, okay. yeah. Surf off fetched or I think what is it called? You're thinking surfetched, which is That's the uh, evolution now. And they also introduced two new characters that are like not main characters, but you know, like story characters. Melodia, who is sort of like a princess who can sing, and then there's uh, Piori, who is a female leader of the Rainbow Rangers, and the Rangers are like this reoccurring kind of Super Sentai sort of trope in the Disgaea game, so now we have a female one. So this dude yeah, is read about so, it. so weird, like it's yeah, it, weird. The, yeah, but it's just one of those things like you can just have it literally auto grind for you. Just leave it on, it'll auto grind for you. That's a feature in the game. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like one of those it's like it really took a lot of like weird quality of life mobile game gotcha game conveniences gameplay wise it's like okay we'll see how this pans out i guess i've only played the first two disgaea games and i liked them well enough um but there's there's, there's probably a lot that's different now yeah i i kind of want to give it a shot uh, this and once again this is coming out in the west on switch only which is still weird to me even though it's yeah. coming on PS4 in Japan. Yeah, even though a well, PS4 course. version will exist in Japan. And for anyone who hasn't like seen footage or, or uh, screen caps of this, it does have a departure from the normal like 2D sprite style of the uh, 1 through 5. So it is kind of like a, re, a new coat of paint for the series. So maybe this is George's jumping on point. It well, depends on it depends on the prevalence it depends on of, how many uh, printies. Yeah, yeah I, I I liked the printy games a fair bit, but like that was the characters and story of that were a big reason for it. But I think also it kind of had to be a platformer for me. Like, no matter how good the story and characters are, uh, for these games, if the gameplay oh, yeah. is so different, maybe I'll. Didn't you Didn't you try playing this guy four and you just like couldn't gel with it? It's still on the backlog. Um, that's one that I want to get back to because I enjoyed it enough that I could see myself to keep going with it. But then they announced a sequel, and I was like, maybe I'll just jump on the, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't love the gameplay enough. I think, but may- maybe I'll give it a go, especially if there are some printies. I like how you just one of these days I will play the Skya. That Sorry. day is not today. They need to put the third <laughs> one on PC. Then they'll be- basically all be on PC except the new one. Yeah, you'll be, I, you'll be numb to not like big numbers by the time you're done. It's like, oh, what do numbers mean anymore? I like how in the trailer for Disguise Six, the first one, it's like nine 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 nine. <laughs> so like you just start out with yeah, yeah, eight yeah. digits. 
Yeah, a reminder that in this guy. Where are they at now? Quadrillion. Okay, in the Sky of Six, your starting level is nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Yep. I don't know what to think about that. Feels like they've taken like the a cheeky idea and have like kind of run it into the ground, but I don't know. That's what the fans want, man. We also got another um, update for a game releasing in Japan. Wait, is this coming out? Next year, I mean, okay. The, the this is for Maglum Lord. I think there's Coming just a typo in Japan. Oh, there's just a Wait. typo on our page where you have it set for 2020, but it should be 2021. Oh, so okay. that, that's what I've seen. But oh, okay, let me restart. Maglum Lord, which is a game that Kite has put up a few updates on, an action RPG. I don't know. It looks kind of inspired by Persona, maybe. Uh, <laughs> 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 launching in Japan, uh, March 18th. Um, this is under uh, D3 Publisher. I don't know, like, I think, I feel like we've had another podcast where Adam has told me, like, what else has been under their umbrella, but uh, no, I've forgotten. That's, that's the main one, Earth Defense Force. That's the main uh, thing they're, they're known for. So this game does uh, not game have an official... Making, uh, the game right? itself is basically inspired and created by the team behind, uh, some key staff behind Summon Knight. It's basically Summon Knight, or not Summon Knight. The, and uh, no, the, no, no indication uh, of English localization. Yeah, the battle system is is like a kind of like oh, old, old 2D style Tales games, Tales of games. So it has like that from, from moving from left to right. Uh, that's basically system. Summon Knight's Swordcraft story. I should, yeah, specifically yeah. that. Not the yeah. strategy Summon Knight. Okay, so Magnum yeah. Lord is releasing next March 2021, 18th, for Switch and PS4, action RPG, anime style. No English announcement quite yet. It'd be interesting to see if someone like Kite or I don't know James, or, I don't know someone who has not this game. I think I'm like the only person who's played Summon Knight. Well, maybe you should import it and use like a, a <laughs> English like uh, just text guide. Just stream it on uh, just stream it on the staff channel. I can live translate. Oh, you, you, you should do. You should have one of those things that has like the, the those uh, uh, live Google Translate programs that you encompass your monitor in, and it will just like read everything as it's. Oh, like those live camera apps that translate and you just have yeah. the games. To, that that would actually, you know, I think there's a business idea there. Mm-hmm. It already exists. <laughs> oh, really? Damn it! It's too yeah, slow. It already, it already exists. Uh, uh, a lot of people use that for gotcha game shit. Gotcha. You what else do we that. have? Uh, here's a here's a footnote that maybe uh, Josh can walk me through. So, Thirteen Sentinels, which came out just oh. recently uh, in the U.S., is re- is celebrating its one year anniversary of its original release. Yeah, they held a live stream uh, this morning at the time of this recording, uh, celebrating the first la- uh, anniversary of its uh, Japanese release. There's nothing. That, there's no new news of like a port announcement to Switch or PC or not. It wasn't that. There's was just like a celebration of like of a really now well beloved and dear game in Japan, and slowly starting to become very beloved here in the West for good reason. But it was it was. It was one of those like celebrations that like really warmed my heart and why I'm like slightly sleep deprived because I stayed up for it. Well, I didn't stay up for it. I got up for it. And the, <laughs> there's a really I got, funny part. I got of up it. for this podcast. <laughs> there's a really funny part <laughs> of it that only James well, only James and I on this cast right now have only played this game, but uh, this had the the Japanese uh, voice actors for uh, Renya Goto, which is Jun Fukuyama. Tsukasa, Tsukasa Okino, who's uh, Mutsumi Tamura, Natsuno Minami, who's uh, Kaoru Sakura, and Takatoshi Hijiyama, which is Takuyuki Ishii. 
Uh, they were the panel uh, on this first anniversary live stream. And one of the very first things, because a lot of it was like survey results and whatnot. So they had fans vote in like their fa favorite scenes of like these actors uh, or the, the characters that these actors uh, portrayed in the game. And uh, one of the first one was uh, Renya Goto. And Renya Goto, there's, no, there's going to be no spoilers on this point podcast in terms of like any 13 Sentinels. But Renya Goto was, uh, is a character that you unlock in the game fairly uh, late. Uh, he's one of the last playable like routes you unlock in that game because he's a very uh, plot centric, plot narrative character. A lot of best way to describe it, which isn't a spoiler, is basically I took notes. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And the scene that they uh, uh, that fans voted for their favorite favorite uh, Goto scene is it happens like one of the first things that happens in his uh, route is. He calls for a taxi, and he like uh, people uh, uh, call it very stylish, very kakoi. That the 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 pose that he makes on uh, calling the ta taxi, and they mimic it, mimic it on screen uh, in the live stream. It's very funny. His Fukuyama uh, 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 mimics uh, the way that uh, Goto uh, poses for calling a taxi, which is well one of the very endearing parts uh, about that uh, game. Because like people just like well. Talk about like very trivial stuff that's like not really um, relevant to the overall narrative, but there are de definitely visual quirks about it. It's like ah yes, that iconic pose for calling the tax. Uh, the the thing that um, a lot of fans really wanted was they held a survey about like at this point in time, first anniversary in like who are people's like favorite like top ten favorite characters, and there there was uh, very interesting like a, a lot of the top 10 were playable characters, obviously playable routes in the game and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, like, uh, just going down the list, like, number 10 was Tomi, number 9 was Juro, which is, like, the main dude of the uh, of the game, like, the first character you play in the game. Uh, number 8 was uh, Nenji Ogata, which is, like, the 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 delinquent, kind of the the, the, the bancho uh, of the game, kind of uh, kind of thuggish looking. Uh, seven is kind of the main heroine of the game, like on the cover. Uh, Yori. Uh, I want. I want to back up, and I just want to say, as someone who hasn't played this game, but I've seen like the screenshots and the artwork. The uh -huh. number eight, I know exactly who you're talking about, just from the yeah, description. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like okay for for the okay for the kids. It's it's like uh the the JoJo Part Four protagonist. There yeah, you go. Vo it's voiced by the same English voice actor. There you go. Uh, number six was uh, Keitaro Miyura. Uh, five was Megumi Yakushiji, uh, the the girl, the long, uh, the girl with long dark hair with glasses. Uh, number four was actually the only one on this list, on the top ten list, who wasn't a playable character, Sukasa Okino. But uh, he's a very plot centric character in the game, and uh, the, but part of the the game romance in the game because uh, there's a romance in the game where there's two dudes very openly loving each other, which is very cool. It's very natural in the game. So and a very uh, big fan favorite uh, over there in Japan as well. Uh, number three is uh, Natsuno Minami, uh, who's <laughs> uh, a really awesome character. A lot of the characters they give are really awesome. They're just uh, every character in this game is really awesome. But she's like uh, kind of the the character that meets like the the robot buddy that people love in the game. His name is BJ. Uh, number two is uh, Takatoshi Hijiyama, which is also part of that gay romance with Okino. Uh, and number one was Ryoko Shinonome, uh, which for I'm very biased for uh, Shinonome because uh, her voice actress Sayori Hiyami, her Japanese voice actress, is one of my favorites. So I that's probably why she's number one on there because Japan really loves Sayori Hiyami. Uh, Hayami. 
very popular voice actress over there. Um, the, it's just a really cool like kind of get together to celebrate the the anniversary of the game's release. Uh, just you know, it's it's not it's not a really big surprise or a really big secret, but like Thirteen Sentinels is probably my personal game of the year this year, and nothing I played this year so far has gotten close to like you know how I feel about that game. So that's probably and I know my, and I know other people like James and Colin and maybe a couple others, Chow, have also played through that and with some very high opinions. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how that all comes together when we get together to talk about it for the uh, for the end of the year cast. Yeah, and the the top off like that anniversary stream, uh, they had like a mini concert, and they had like cool like they had like uh, live DJs playing re- uh, special remixes uh, of some of the background music. They actually announced like there will be like a special like uh, remix and arrange album coming next February from Bass Escape, which is the music group uh, doing the music for that game. And they also uh, did a live performance of a very central vocal theme in that game. Like it, it plays at a very key part. In that game, and it just like it hits so hard live that like I was like kind of tearing. Maybe like, this maybe this should be expected <laughs> for a first anniversary, but I do kind of like that the anniversary was just allowed to be an anniversary, just a celebration. Because I feel like sometimes at some point, like at the five year mark and on, it feels like people latch onto anniversaries as an opportunity to announce something. Like what's in it for me? It, it's just nice just to see it yeah. as just purely a celebration. Like, yeah, I, like I, yeah, I feel like there's 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 right. merit and value just in that. We don't have to always see like it's the 10 year anniversary of one of my favorite games. I wonder if they'll announce something for it. What's in it for me? Like, can we just, can we just and maybe for a first year anniversary that's to be expected? But it'd be nice to see a 10 year anniversary that just goes the same route. Just just celebrate. I still have to think about it a lot, man. But when I'm, when people ask me like, what was like your game of the generation last generation? To think about like it could be a 2020 game. <laughs> to be honest, this might be up there. Oh so good i love it and with that that covers all of the topical notes that we had was there anything that we missed that anyone wants to uh chime in at the very end here uh no i mean for next week will be the beginning of december uh, yeah what uh, what a weird year it took us eight years to get through october and then november <laughs> just snapped by yeah weird time just doesn't oh. happen because we all we all we all we're all just pressing F five on our PlayStation five queues and pre order shipment updates. <laughs> it's I'd say it is weird to think though that to me the, give it, it sorry basically seems over. Like in, in my head the PS5 was the last big thing, but we still have Immortals and Cyberpunk, which are like two pretty big well, one is a massive RPG and the other seems to be a pretty big RPG in its own right. So like we still got plenty of... Yeah. You're you're missing the big one, dude. You're missing co- collection of saga. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, y- yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> and totally something miss- that uh, George is looking forward to. We're also missing <laughs> the uh, the the re-release or official localization of Fire Emblem on Switch. Available for only three months, four months. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> So thanks for, uh, thanks for just, joining us. Oh, go, go ahead, James. Just uh, was going to say, like, on the like PlayStation 5 like, Q thing, I, I've completely given up trying to get a new GPU this year because it seems basically impossible. Yeah, I've been, trying, I've been looking around for a 3080 or a 3090, and it's just not happening. I got, I got I, a friend of a friend. Like, uh, that's the only way to get it like, these days. It's like, if you, if you know someone who knows someone who's willing to sell 
I got an I got like a now in stock update for those, and it was like linking me to the fact that Amazon had new second party sellers. I'm like, oh, here's an opportunity. Like Thousand dollar markup. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for letting me know that I can buy a new GPU for like a grand over its MSRP. Thanks, thanks product tracker app. <laughs> Maybe next year. And I, one of the things I would also love to be able to get a piece of PS5 for my brothers for Christmas. And at this point, I'm just kind of like, eh, maybe his birthday next year. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining that. us for this. Uh... Well, I right. said you should oh. just get him, uh, get him Brigadine, the Legend of Inertia for PS4 coming on December 10th. Oh, yeah. That's oh, another yeah, one coming out in December. This was our Thanksgiving follow-up episode for the Tetracast. As always, we'll be here seemingly every week. You can read the Demon Souls review up on our website. You can go to our, our website and press the Discord link at the top to be taken to that. We have some casual mode videos from the last month put up on our YouTube channel. We have some ideas kind of incubating for more stuff for the YouTube. We'll see where those end up materializing next year. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at RPG Site or at RPG Site Net. And we will be here next week with our first December episode of the cast somehow already. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, and we'll see you next time. Take care.